This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Go hey, It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judging blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. So what's going on? I feel like we're reenacting the American Gothic picture or whatever that is with the farmer and his wife and he has the pitchfork. And, right, what, what are we that? doing today? We're going for a sweep of the Astros. That's what we're doing. Those cheating SOBs, we're coming into their house. We're going to sit down. We're going to have dinner. We're going to sleep in their beds. We're going to go to the bathroom and shower in their bathroom. We're coming in and taking care of business. We're going for the sweep. Yeah, I'm going to celebrate it. I've had nothing to celebrate all year long. I'm celebrating sweeping these guys for the first time since. Last year? No. Well, in, we slept them last in year. Houston. Oh, in Houston. Uh, Bo 20, Porter. 2013. Bo Porter was the manager. Our good friend, Bo Porter. MLB Network, Bo Porter. Bo Porter. 2013 was the last time we swept these jokers in Houston. It's a long time ago. We came into this series 55 games under 500. You can't make that up. When's Himbo showing up? Uh, Like 25 minutes. I'm doing the whole – I can't wait to bust the broom out for Himbo. The great Paul Himbikides is going to be on the program from the television show, Get Up. Also, I forgot I got – we got to promote this. He's got his best-selling book with his partner on ESPN, Mike Greenberg. He also co-hosts Greeny's radio show with him on ESPN Radio. So he's coming up here in about a half hour. And then Tony Gwynn Jr. from the San Diego Padres, as we'll get you ready for the Padres and the athletics, as I get, I can't really, I can't do this to the great Tony Gwynn Jr. out of respect to him, his career, his father, who I grew up watching, who I at one point worked for, 
uh, the great Tony Gwynn, the Hall of Famer. Now, other Padre people, I can gloat. Well, we do have Scott Miller, so you can do it to him. He's not really a Padre no, guy. He's not a Padre. He's a baseball com- columnist. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can kind of like, I got a little. I told you so on the Padre people. I told you so. Like I, all my buddies in San Diego, uh, I told everybody, "I'm like, it ain't gonna happen." They were all, "Oh, this is the year, man." They were talking about. World Series, their their fan fest. Swear to God, they were talking about. They don't care who they play in the World Series. These dudes have won nothing other than two play a a playoff series, right? No, they won two playoff series. They beat the Mets, beat the Dodgers after an okay year, and then all of a sudden they're talking winning World Series, and you're like, what are you talking about? And then Melvin told us at spring training things weren't good. And, you know, Bob was just being real honest because we know Bob. He's like, you know, this this clubhouse. And here we are looking at the Dodgers. By the way, these numbers for the Dodgers continue to just amaze me. The Dodgers' magic number for their the – Dodger, the Dodgers' magic number is four to clinch their tenth. NL West title in 11 seasons. The only reason they didn't win the one year is because the Giants won 107 and they won 106. <laughs> Ten titles in 11 seasons. This is going to be their 11th straight postseason berth. 11 straight. I mean, they have a chance. I never thought I would see this. I mean, the Yankees gave it a run, but I didn't even think about it then. They got a chance at the Braves' record. 14? 1991 through 2005, the Braves. The longest streak in MLB history. They were in the postseason 14 straight years. I mean, that's almost half your life. They were in the postseason. And the Dodgers, what's stopping them from getting that record and breaking that? Can't even say injuries anymore because uh, it doesn't matter. They keep finding all these pitchers. Like the guy they called up last night, Hurt, comes up, and he just mows people down. I mean, they find guys all unbelievable. the time. Did you know tonight at Chavez Ravine is Dave Roberts' bobblehead night, front of the program, Dave Roberts? I did not. He's got – we just celebrated Mark Kotze getting 100 wins. Dave Roberts has 741 wins as a Dodger manager. Who are the three Dodger managers ahead of him? Well, sorta. Very good. Now it's easy. Hall of Famer. Hodges? Yeah. No. The other one's easy. Think back. Who did Who did Lasorda? The great. Why am I blanking on this? Walter. Oh, um, Alston. One I didn't know is Wilbert Robinson. I have no idea when Wilbert Robinson managed the Dodgers. I'm going to bet it was Brooklyn, and uh, he won a lot of games. Those are the only three guys that have more wins. And, by the way, Walter Alston, 2,040 wins. Tommy Lasorda, 1,599, and Wilbert Robinson. When did he uh, manage? 
Uh, old Willie, we used to. I used to call him Old Willie. Born in 1864, passed in 1934. <laughs> uh, he managed the Brooklyn Robins. The Robins. And he, well, he managed the Dodgers for two years and the Baltimore Orioles. But yeah, it was the Brooklyn Robins he managed uh, after managing the Brooklyn Dodgers. They were the Brooklyn Robins. I did yeah. not know that. Well, uh, old old Willie had 1,373 with the Robins. Dave Roberts, wow. Interesting. 73? That's pretty impressive. 741 wins. He's fourth in Dodger history. They said 1,373? For Willie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Base Warbins says 75. Are they discrediting or giving him credit for two more wins? Uh, I don't think anyone cares. <laughs> uh, but Dave Roberts having the old bobblehead tonight. Friend of the program, Dave. So congratulations to Dave. And uh, we will hear from Tony Gwynn Jr. today. It ain't working. It's not working. And I'm not going to get into, we already taped it, so I'm not getting into the financial issues because that's not Tony's job, Tony Gwynn Jr., even though he sounds just like his father. But um, they've got major financial issues. They, they've got a lot of money, a lot of money guaranteed. they got over $800 million guaranteed. And it is a – they're one of the teams that they're not getting paid by Bally's. They're now streaming. They've got issues. And they're going to be a great test case of a team that they did exactly what so many fans want their owners to do. They're the test case, right? We want – you're, you understand when a guy buys a New York team, he's worth $16 billion, hedge fund guy, he goes all in, that makes sense. But when the guy goes all in in San Diego, that's now smaller market, smaller TV contract, smaller area. You know, we always talk about it. In Los Angeles, you got, in the county, you got like 9 million people. You don't got 9 million people in San Diego, right? You don't got – I mean, L.A. County is as big as what? Our pot of All of our counties put together in the Bay Area make up what around that? I mean, it's crazy the amount of people that they have and their television contract. But San Diego went all in. They did exactly what fans want, what we perceive as rich owners to do, which, by the way, I'll tell you this – I, I, I kind of have changed the way I feel about things since I've been a business owner. I would never go all in. I mean, it's, it's we as non-business owners, as fans, expect them to do stuff that we wouldn't do. Like, you wouldn't go all in. No disrespect, you're one of the cheapest humans I know. If you owned a team, there's no way the Cody Elias-owned Brooklyn Robins <laughs> would be going all in at any time. Uh, you're probably 79% correct. Yeah, you would not be going all in, right? Well, but there the, is that 21% chance that I may put some extra money Yeah, we, we, we talk this big old game as fans who don't own anything, but then if we owned it, would you go? Like, Peter Seidler's gone all in, and if this thing collapses, it is a test case of what happens, Small, smaller market, smaller money, Owner goes all in, starts guaranteeing contracts, which is his own personal wealth. We've seen this before when Frank McCourt started trying to guarantee stuff based off his parking lots, and that was with the Dodgers. That's the big market market team. So Padres are going to be a test case for the next couple of years because this is who they got. 
And we will talk about them coming up, uh, obviously, a lot on Friday. But Tony Gwynn Jr. is going to join us. So, to the Oakland A's. Since I feel vindicated by saying the Padres are not going to be as good as you think. And by the way, Paul Himbikidi's coming up. He was the one that really told everybody. The other one was, what are we doing as the A's? What are we doing? Why are we doing what we are doing? And in some ways, we still kind of do it. But we did say, play these young guys. You'll be rewarded. You will be rewarded. And I understand it. Our franchise, for some reason, I've tried to educate people because there's always the belief in baseball, if you're not winning, you've gone young. There's always that belief. You know, people are not paying attention to us, and the A's are not playing well, and all of a sudden everybody thinks, well, they're young. They've gone young. That's a young ball club. And I kept looking at the roster going, I have no idea last year what the hell you were talking about with young. Go look at baseball reference last year, what our average age was. Were we young? Uh, no, it was dragged down dramatically with Jed Lowry and Stephen Vogt, for sure. I mean, we're sporting guys on a roster of 35 and up, but we had a ton of 30-year-olds. We had a ton of guys 20. Everybody, I mean, we, we weren't young. And then we started trying – people tried that Treat people tried that this year. I had to catch Ken Korak two nights ago with this where Ken was – where got beat in Texas and he did his 1-800 Feldman. I mean, how many times have the A's had this many rookies? It was like, well, we need them because our rookies are better. The data says we have a better chance to win with our first-year guys versus our non-first-year guys. That is true. You can't play. That's not true. Our young guys are better than our older guys. So if we lose a game, it's not fair to then say, well, we're playing all these young guys because our young guys give us the best chance to win. The data shows it. I had it in the notes. I had it for you. If we just went war, our young guys' war is better than our our rookie class of war is better than everybody who's not a rookie. It's just fact. They're better. We got a better chance to win with the guys who are not veteran guys. And it's been awesome. Look at this. The A's have won seven of their last 11 games. We're averaging 4.9 runs per game. Zach Geloff has 30 extra base hits in his first 52 major league games. Did Jace Peterson do that? No. Alemis Diaz? No. Jesus Aguilar? No. And I'm trying to think, who do we even have last year? Mm. We were rolling out a bunch of bad dudes last year. Um, uh, Ramon Laureano do that? No. Seth Brown do that? No. I mean, I'm just trying to think. Who do we have last year? I'm going to look right now. By Who's the way, on the team? By the way, two of our uh, two of the the top two of the top three Oakland A's in WAR. It goes JP Sears, and then it's Ryan Noda, rookie, and uh, Zach Eloff, rookie. But you're going to keep telling me that we're a young team. Well, we're a young team. We got to take our lumps. No, our young guys have to play. It's the only chance we have to win. Uh, here's the guys that 
Oh my God, Chad Pender. Oh my God. Vimael Machine. Oh. Elvis. Oh. Uh, Jed. Oh. Uh, Murph. Oh, that Murph was all right. Voter. Christian Bethancourt. Sheldon Noisy. Wait, Bethancourt got traded early to the Mm. Rays. Dermis Garcia. Oh, the great Dermis Garcia. Where is Dermis? He was in AAA earlier this year. Yeah, I don't know if he got – I'd have to look to see if he was still there. Uh, Sky Bolt. He's not. Uh, Sky – Hey, Sky Bolt is the Mickey Mantle of AAA. You put Sky Bolt in AAA, his numbers are phenomenal. Well, we have we had him and the Babe Ruth and being Kevin Smith. Now he's still with us, but they were like Babe and Mickey down there. I mean, let me tell you that. You put Sky Bolt in Vegas, he's one of the greatest players who have ever played. Billy McKinney. Uh, Connor Capel, your guy. He's still in the system. Uh, Matt Davidson. Ernie Clement. Who? Matt Davidson, the big power hitter from the White Sox and D-backs, all, he hits a lot of home runs. But he strikes out more than third, anything else. Third baseman. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Austin Allen. Who? David McKinnon, who the A's claimed from the Angels David last year. McKinnon? Uh, Nate Mondu. <laughs> Christian Lopes. Drew Jackson. <laughs> Nate, let's end on that. <laughs> Nate Mondu. Well, I hate to tell all you people who like to speak in cliches. It's the show, back of the baseball card, you're chalk. We're not chalk here. I didn't like covering Nate Mondu. I got no chance to win now or never with Nate Mondu. I told you last year, I told you this year, bring up the young guys. And everybody's going, oh, I hear you ranting and raving. Well, guess what? Uh, Ryan Noda, have you heard of him? He's hitting 295, three home runs, nine RBIs, last 12 games. That's an OPS of 935. That's a winning baseball player. Zach Geloff is a winning baseball player. Nate Mondu is not a winning baseball player. You need to find these guys, and you didn't have them here, and you haven't had them here, and we had to sit here and watch it, and they stunk. And I was right. And I normally don't like to go, me, 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 I'm right, but I was right, play the damn young guys. They give us a better chance to win. You still want to shut J.P. Sears down for the season? Looked good yesterday. No, remember all that? Everybody wanted to shut J.P. Sears down? J.P. Sears is now 3-0 and in September. I did his errors, 1.4. I think I have it. Hold on. It's on one, it was 8-2. It's now 1.35. No, it's, it was higher than that. Uh, whoa, no, whoa, no, whoa. Not, like, not like too much higher, but like it's it like was. It's like three earned runs in 16 or 17 innings. My document's loading. But it was like 1.7 or 1.5, something like that. I, I think you're wrong. The math says you're wrong. 1.59. One point, yeah, it's not 1.7. One point five nine. You want to shut him down? Do you remember that conversation? I, I was more impressed. I was more disappointed. He got taken out with eighty three pitches, but now yeah. he wants him to stay in and pitch. He had him shut down in August, and now you want him to pitch. By the way, I hit the over yesterday. I said old man Verlander would go over five <laughs> and two thirds. Let the young guys play. It's been refreshing as hell. It's been a lot of fun. Dusty Baker said, "Look up at the board." And there's some 210s and 230s, but they're not swinging it like it. 
They are a relaxed club that has nothing to lose. We just have to play relaxed ourselves. Yeah, got nothing to lose. Let the young guys go out. Did, did Those first two doubles by Zach Geloff, did those look like he didn't belong? That's Justin Verlander. I think Verlander was working on stuff. He threw a lot of change-ups yesterday. He got beat on change-ups, which is normally not something he's doing. But uh, Zach Geloff, your first two times facing Justin Verlander, whack right center wall, whack down the left field line. Welcome to the big time. He's ready to rock. That's why, why is Hernays down in AAA? Now we know Harris got hurt. We didn't know that. Didn't realize he got hit in the face with a 97-mile-an-hour fast. So I get that. Plus, I, I mean, I, I want to see Jordan Diaz play every day. But, you know, I, I still look at the lineup, and I still look at guys that I know are not the future that are in the lineup. Are we, are we now past? Now looking at where we are with with – because. Ryan Noda's a dude in that clubhouse. Zach Geloff already has established himself as, I am the future. I'm not sure how much the veteran guys, when that veteran presence is necessary anymore. I was going to look see what hell Hernandez did last night for Fran and the guys. Big win for, for the uh, Aviators last night. Um, uh, he needed that after his bills collapsed on Monday Night Football. He went one for three. Jonah Bride hit his 13th home run. He's if the if if uh, if uh, what was it if Sky Bolts Mickey Mantle and Kevin Smith's uh, Babe Ruth I, Shea Langoliers Shea Langoliers has really changed the perception. I don't know how we get him better defensively. I mean, he throws well, but Shea Langoliers. Could happen tonight. I mean, we're going to start looking at Shea Langoliers and start saying, man, is this a 25 home run guy? Is this a 30 home run guy who can throw? I think less pitchers, less demand on that. I, we should hopefully see his metrics because his metrics aren't good. But the ABS system could be coming, and that would change everything. Like, you think about that. Once we have the automatic balls and strikes, the ABS system, which they have now, they're starting to perfect, and more people are like, ooh, okay, if it's, because there's always been a question, what if there's a bad this, bad call, bad, now it's getting really accurate, and now it's able to actually have a strike zone for every guy based on, you know, Jose Altuve's strike zone is going to be different than everybody else's, right? Ricky Henderson crouching down is going to have a different strike zone, well, ABS couldn't deal with that. Now it can. I mean, what happens to the catcher who can't hit and he's there because he frames, because he steals strikes, because umpires have bad strike zones. So I can fool. I'm good at fooling the umpire. What happens when that skill set is out of the game? What happens? Now... ABS, the box, is going to be calling it strike. Now it's going to be all about fundamentals. Can I block? Can I throw? I don't have to handle the staff. I still got to, you know what, not true. I still got to be able to call the pitches. But a lot of that, too, is also the pitcher. 
I don't care what you're throwing down. If I'm not comfortable, I'm shaking you off. I mean, I'm going to throw what I want to throw. But that's really going to change. I mean, you, the days of this guy's the game manager and I don't care what he hits, once the ABS system comes in, how much is that going to change how we look at catchers? You know, you know who would be in vogue if he was a little bit younger? The Sanchino. Sanchino. That's going to help a guy like a player like Sanchino, Gary Sanchino. Sanchino. Uh, was was beloved very very quickly in San Diego. He, doesn't he have like he had, 19, he had nineteen home runs? Saying, I think he had nineteen. Yeah. Where is the Sanchino? He's th- he's thirty. He might still be in vogue when that comes around. Uh, Sanchino this year, you're right. Nineteen home runs. He's played for multi. Yeah, nineteen home runs, two seventeen. But that won't matter because you're all you, you want him for his offense and his hitting, hitting twenty home runs a year, sporting that seven eighty OPS. Yeah. If I don't have to worry about him being a, a butcher with cleavers behind home plate, now it's not going to matter. That's what they're all worried about. He catches it and takes it out of the strike zone. He catches it. He doesn't have that ability to bring it back into the strike zone and bring it back and have that the innate ability to really the way you catch it and the way you make these things look like strikes to fool umpires. We can't fool umpires anymore. Boy, you better be able to swing it. Yeah, so a guy, unfortunately a guy like Austin Hedges, who's like the best framer in the sport, he can't hit. So what does that mean? Got to go find a different job. Become now the offensive position to become. But you, I mean, not to throw it completely away. You still have to block balls. You yeah. still got to be able to throw guys out. I mean, as long as we're going to have these rules, you. I mean, throw, throwing is becoming more of a premium. What does Langoliers do? Throws guys out. Throws guys out. Hits home runs and throw guys out. Langoliers only twenty five years old. We're trying to figure out. They keep saying in the notes that he's. To, he is going to become the seventh Oakland A's catcher to hit 20 home runs in a season. You can't find that. So I keep finding four, got a guy to play catcher, and I asked the great David Feldman. Feldman said it's also four. He said they're probably counting the times that Gene Tennis did it multiple times for seventh Oakland catcher. That's not what it's saying. It's saying the seventh. Even when it's we not l- the seventh time. It's the seventh. So if you played catcher – at any point, and hit 20 bombs in a season, that is your dilemma. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how As John Lund would say, the daily dilemma, our friend John Lund I, yeah, at I don't KMBR. Know, yeah, I don't know how they're qualifying that, but still, it's still impressive. That many guys. Big Murph never did it. Oh, why are you taking shots at Murph? I don't know, because everyone told me he's Johnny Bench. Now, he might be in the Braves lineup when they have how many All-Stars and MVPs, but. And he's not. They got multiple catchers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why? there was no need for you to take a shot at Big Murph. There was no need. That was just a cheap shot. <laughs> that was a cheap shot. Admit it. He has 20 home runs this year, so congrats to him there. Wow. When you're hitting, I, when you're hitting seventh in Sean, that Braves lineup. Sean, I apologize. That was a crit. If this gets out and someone says, hey, Ace Cast is taking shots at Sean, Chris Townsend, loves you, great guy, <laughs> not the best interview. He knows it. I know it. Nice guy, though. Always liked him. The cheap shot was from Cody. Commander Cody took the cheap shot, not me. Coming up next, he told you on this program, not the Giants, not the D-backs, not the Padres. The Dodgers are still king. Man, the Padres broadcaster came on here. Oh, we've slayed the dragon. What? That dragon's about to be in the playoffs for the 11th straight year. We've got to prop up my man, Himbo, and he's a best-selling author. 
All coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Chris Townsend and Commander Cody for Link Soul. you got to go to their website right now, linksoul.com. The new polos are unbelievable. New colors, lighter weight. We got our new summer shipment, Cody. I couldn't be happier. I look better, all thanks to Link Soul. So we're talking about new polos. You can check out their shorts. Anything you need for summer, they have it right now. When you go to their website, they've got a smoking summer deal. Go to linksoul.com. That's linksoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, I'm pretty sure they're super busy at ESPN trying to figure out how LeBron James or Tom Brady or who's going to play quarterback for the Jets. I mean, can LeBron play? I mean, we know LeBron played in high school. Paul Himbikides joins us, the legendary Himbo, as we've said, author of the best-selling book, There You Go, will make a great present for all sports fans as we, before you know it, are going to be at the holidays. I don't know. Is it Phillip Rivers? Is it LeBron? Is it Tom Brady? Who's going to play quarterback for the Jets? You know, I spent the last four months on paternity leave from May through August. I spent way more time thinking about Zach Geloff than I spent thinking about Aaron Rodgers. I come back, I'm at ESPN for a week before we kick off the season, just working my way back, getting my sea legs beneath me, and four plays, four freaking plays, the NFL schedule, the NFL hype machine, the, the, the ESPN greeny Twitter mob, like the whole thing, down in one fell swoop, in a heap on a, on, a, on a free play on some artificial turf in the swamp in New Jersey. It is a sordid tale, my friend, here on the East Coast. Yeah, it, I, I mean, I, I, I can't believe it. Like, you just can't believe all the hype, everything that went into it, and you're like, four plays, 75 seconds, and he's done for the year? That's just, you can't make that up. You can't make it up. It could not have possibly happened to any other fan base aside from the New York Jets, which I think this is now proof positive beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is a cursed fan base, perhaps the most cursed fan base in all of sports. But candidly, for as much as we, you and I joke around about you know the hype machine and all of the Aaron Rodgers of it all the last few years, much of which was manufactured, this is as big a letdown as I can ever recall seeing in sports in my lifetime. Never has there ever been a player with more hype surrounding his change of team and his debut. Like, this guy's running out on Monday Night Football in front of 80,000 people carrying the American flag, 
And minutes later, I mean, it almost feels like a fever dream. I don't remember anything ever happening quite like this in any sport in my lifetime. Look, maybe I don't have the, the, the frame of reference here, but this really struck me as something that, like, in the moment is sort of an all-timer. So, most watched game, Monday Night Football history on ESPN. So, what would be the bigger moment, this or Jimmy Hoffa being buried in the end zone at the Meadowlands? Which <laughs> is a bigger moment? By the way, can you believe that in the history of uh, ESPN on Monday Night Football, Monday Night Football on ESPN, this is number one? And it was number one, and this guy only played for four snaps. Like, the collective interest in this, as you demonstrated, is just astronomical. Yeah. Like, people always ask me, yourself included, why do you guys spend so much time talking about X, Y, or Z? In some cases, why do you guys spend so much time talking about Aaron Rodgers? Well, it seems like the collective interest of the whole country was fixated upon MetLife Stadium on Monday night, and in a puff of smoke, it all disappeared. But, like, look, this guy obviously resonates with the national audience, and the fact that we're going to get to watch Zach Wilson play, like, four or five more primetime games is an absolute disaster <laughs> for the NFL. We're going to watch him and Patrick Mahomes play on the same football field in a month, and uh, that is going to be a site for sore eyes or a site that creates sore eyes. This is why when we always rip, why do they play Yankees, Red Sox? This is a great example because – this was Jets Bills. This was not New York Football Giants against the Dallas Cowboys. This was the secondary team playing the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, the Bills are are, are a sheet team. They've been good, but this is Jets Cat. This isn't the glory. This isn't the Cowboys and the Giants or the. I mean, and this is the most watched game ever. Yeah, so you, it 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 puts it puts all of us West Coasters back in our place where you realize this is what the country when you put the a top story New York team or East Coast team or Red Sox Yankees there's a reason why yeah there is a reason why and it was my belief that now that Tom Brady had retired Aaron Rodgers in effect becomes the face of the whole league now some people might argue that that should be Patrick Mahomes who's pretty clearly the best player but that's but Kansas you know, City you, small market right Right. You've been doing this long enough to know that you accrue fame in life by being famous for a really, really long time, by being on television for decades. That's why all of the presidents that we elect are 80 years old, right? Like the, the amount of time that you've spent being famous is huge. Aaron Rodgers was next in line after Tom Brady, and we got four plays of it. It's going to wind up going down as one of, uh, one of the uh, huge sports disasters of this time, regardless of whether or not he plays in the future. My hope, sort of uh, as an ancillary point, my hope is that we use this moment and I'm going to make a baseball analogy for you. Uh, we use this moment kind of like we used in 2011 to create the Buster Posey rule. So Buster Posey was struck at home plate. They changed the rule forever. We had, playing, we had been playing baseball for one way for 140 years. Buster Posey breaks his leg. All of a sudden, we decided we couldn't do it that way anymore. Why on God's green earth are we still playing football on artificial turf, for God's sake? It is an absolute disgrace that this is still a thing, in my opinion. We know for sure, based upon all of the modeling, that it would cost the NFL almost no money. It'd be a drop in the bucket. $11.9 million would be the estimated initial cost to, to create a grass surface on every field that there is. Yeah. That is a, a rounding error for a $25 billion Tip enterprise. Money. Tip money. I don't care about the Taylor Swift concert, about Monster Truck. Let's figure out a way for these people to be playing a highly dangerous game on grass. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers' injury would not have occurred if it were not played on turf. What I do know is that it sure didn't help. And given the fact that the players have reported all these studies with all this data that say, it's pretty clear, guys, this is a more dangerous playing surface, that injuries like this happen more frequently, and also the severity of injuries like, that, like this are exacerbated as a result. 
This to me seems like a really easy fix. And much like uh, Buster Posey in 2011, now we have our flashpoint. Now we have our, our, our touchstone moment to make that change. Hit by Scott Cousins, not Kurt Cousins, by the way. Uh, a good thing for you as a father, since you brought old Swifty up, good news for you is by the time your kids are older, she's going to be older, so she'll kind of be out of. Swifty just came to town and got me for a fourth time. She's got fourth me time. fourth time. Wow. She's got me for wow. twice at Levi Stadium and twice at the Shark Tank. She has she gotten is, me four mm. times. She is living rent-free in your checking account, my oh friend. Oh, my God. So I, I, I said to I my have... wife, I said to my wife, I go, do you know how much money we've contributed to this woman? It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. These, I mean, it's a lot. So this is this is a, something of a humble brag. I actually, I'm not a Swifty. My wife is a card-carrying Swifty and has been for many years. We actually saw her in May when she came to the Meadowlands at MetLife Stadium. Uh, she, she did not hurt herself uh, on that turf, but we, we know a friend, we, we know someone in the band. So we got like the friends and family discount and that was an ungodly amount of money. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't even want to know how many commas were, were in your StubHub account for, for purchasing tickets. those tickets. And my wife had to like sit there and like be on the computer forever and it finally popped up and just, just to have the chance to go what you got to pay. All right, but have you heard? We can't can't move off of this before we bring up the Travis Kelsey of it all. The specter of this is far too significant. I assume you've heard the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey dating rumors. And and if so, I assume that you have formed a strong opinion by now. I I, I mean, seriously, I I, I like the Kelsey Brothers, the New Heights podcast. I'll I'll do deep dives sometimes because I I think Jason's really fascinating as a center and being an Eagles fan. And I, I like him a lot. He's a great player. Uh, but I'm a little Kelsey'd out, so I'm not ready for Swifty Kelsey. Yeah, I, I'm with you. He's he's not built for this. He's not built for this. You're not in Can- this is a, this isn't Kansas City anymore. You start hooking up with her, and next thing you know, you you don't do it right. You're going to end up on some song, and every chick is going to think you're the worst guy in the world. I don't do it. Pull the plug. Pull the plug quickly before we get the uh, stuff you want to get into. I have a comp for Zach Geloff. Are you ready? Hit me. And this is going to go with your book that hopefully will come out about baseball Hall of Famers someday. My comp, when I think of second base, taller second base, power to all fields, could run. Because remember, this player I'm going to give you used to run when he was younger, really strong defensively. I think the comp for Zach Geloff is Ryan Sandberg. Mm, High praise. Really, really high praise. Uh, Ryan Sandberg – arguably the best second baseman this side of Joe Morgan, Ryan Sandberg, I think in the grand scheme of things, a little bit underrated, actually a player who I believe is superior to Roberto Alomar, who I think a lot of people consider the greatest second baseman of the last 50 years. I think Sandberg, I think Rhino was a better player. He was, frankly, uh, the numbers say he was a uh, superior defender. He was an excellent runner, uh, had had an absolutely brilliant peak, a great player. I think Zach Geloff could definitely be a poor man's Ryan Sandberg. I like everything that I see from that kid. I picked him up in my fantasy team like very early on in his career, so I've been following him just selfishly because of that. And I, anytime I watch the A's play, he's always someone that really jumps off the screen. I love the skill set. I honestly sh- feel like I should have known more about him as an amateur. A UVA kid, right? Who yeah. has a really like second rounder profile coming out of that program. What I like most about him, like I didn't realize he had that kind of zing in, in the bat. Like I thought Zach Geloff was going to be more of like a punch and Judy type hitter who, whose power comes to him. Like, especially in that ballpark, like he, he hits for a lot more power, has a lot more punch in that barrel than I would have expected. And with the mastery of the strike zone that he already has at that age, like he's, he's practically in his prime. Now when you, when you draft these kids out of college, 
that are advanced and have these sort of old man skills, for lack of a better term. And in this case, he's kind of an underrated athlete. I honestly can like, I, I consider this kid a potential all-star. Um, Ryan Sandberg's a tough comp because he's a Hall of Famer. But it, you can dream big. And when I see this kid play, I, I see a, a, a perennial all-star contender at that position, especially because of all the tools in that kid of his. I'm a huge fan of his, uh, of his game. Think about it. Your first time ever facing Justin Verlander, and why I have the Sam- one of the reasons why I have the Sandberg comp is because San- Sandberg had power to all fields. We're seeing that with uh, with Geloff. He's foul pole to foul pole. Your first time ever facing Justin Verlander, double off the right field wall, double down the left field line. How many guys the first time they ever face uh, Justin Verlander go two for two, two doubles? I mean, I would have asked Justin Verlander for his autograph if I faced him for the first time. That's how much that's how much older he is than Zach Eloff. The, the, the reason why I think what you said is so incredibly important, and I want to I'll make sure that I underline this and say this uh, properly, if you can drive the ball with conviction to the opposite field, it means you see it better than most people, right? It's one thing to catch the ball out front and drive it out of the park to your pull side. If you can allow that ball to travel in the hitting zone further away from your body and you can drive it to the opposite field, your hand-eye coordination is off the charts. And if you're facing a pitcher as good as Justin Verlander that early in your career and you're not taking defensive swings, and you can, for lack of a better term, backleg that pitch and backspin it to right field the way that he did, the way that he can, that's a rare skill. Because not only does it demonstrate that he has this, this pull-to-pull power, as you demonstrated, but that's going to play up in other ways because it shows to me that he has uh, the ability to allow that baseball to travel and so he's going to have to guess less frequently than most players. If you have to guess less frequently than most players, your misses aren't going to be swings and misses. They're, they're going to be foul tips, or maybe they're going to be ground ball through. Your, your misses, for lack of a better term, are not going to be nearly as pronounced. All of a sudden, you've created a lot more productive at-bats, and the range of outcomes for yourself is a lot wider. Like, you've created a situation now where a bad swing is a single instead of a swing and a miss. That was a long way of saying that. But I really like this kid's game, and I think the point – the Verlander point is a good one because it shows he has, like – he has skills in his bag that some, some really good hitters never develop. And he's got it. He, he had them in the big leagues from day one. Breaking news in Major League Baseball. Max Scherzer will be the quarterback for the New York Jets week two. <laughs> no, no. Max Scherzer is done for the year. It is a low-grade terrace major strain. I mean, I, I know he was dealing with bicepinal tendonitis. That's something that I had. But Max Scherzer is out for the main, the remainder of the regular season. They say the regular season, not the postseason, the regular season. Boy, that's not good news for the Texas Rangers, who have already been taken. They've had two really good wins in Toronto, but they've been taking on a lot of water. That's a devastating blow. The, the amount of capital that they gave up for Max Scherzer, the amount that they, they needed him for the rest of the stretch run, and the amount that they would need him for the postseason was obviously significant. But I hate to say that this was foreseeable, but this is kind of the Max Scherzer that I've come to expect. I mean, he doesn't suffer the, like he hasn't suffered these major season-ending uh, season injuries in the past. But he really limped to the finish line last year after struggling with his health throughout the season. This is what happens when you're a pitcher of, with an advanced age with all those moving parts in your mechanics. Like Max Scherzer doesn't have it. Like he doesn't throw it easy. You know, like he doesn't have the same luxury as other pitchers that have aged well. Like he's a max effort guy. You know, pun not intended. Like he's not. He's not the kind of guy that can just let it go free and easy. And so I suppose we should not consider this much of a surprise for someone that has that much going on with his with his body, with that head whip, with all the things that he's been able to maintain for so long. But you know this. Like you, you pitched a high level, to, at least to some degree. Like pitching, it's 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 a high wire act. It's a balancing act because like what, Mac, what makes Max Scherzer great 
in some sense is all that stuff, right? Like the way that he's able to max like max effort on every pitch and blow that cheese up in the zone and then break off that slider in the bottom half and everything in between. But what goes into that is such that now, like when you're not able to, when you're not able to uh, survive at 90%, unfortunately, this is what happens. And with someone at this age making $43 million a year, you wonder if we're ever going to get that version of Max Scherzer ever again. It's a sad day. All right, let's get into some uh, notes here from baseball. Your neck of the woods, big news. David Stearns, a lot of people love him, thinks he's a really bright guy, what he did with the Brewers, uh, now hired to run the New York Mets. How do you like the move? I like the move a lot for the Mets. This was probably the worst kept secret in baseball over the last year. It seemed a, sort of a fait accompli that he would come over from Milwaukee to the Mets. This is obviously being viewed and painted here locally as Andrew Friedman 2.0. So yeah. obviously Andrew Friedman has – just a enormous success uh, in a small market in Tampa. The Dodgers poach him away. He's effectively been able to build a baseball empire out in Los Angeles with this really shrewd uh, drafting and player development system that enables them to regenerate while at the same time being able to spend gobs and gobs of money. So you never effectively have to rebuild and you can remain competitive almost perpetually as you regenerate that system. That's obviously going to be the, the frame of reference that the Mets and their fans use for everything that David Stearns does. It seems like Billy Epler, their current GM, will sort of report to him, for lack of a better term. And so they're going to have that kind of brain trust at the top. To me, Billy Epler's track record is spotty at best, candidly. But this is a good move uh, by Steve Cohen, who recognized uh, sort of a void in leadership in that sense in his organization. And David Stearns is just objectively great at his job. They've had excellent records during the time in which he's been there and they have been outstanding in the world of run prevention they haven't really done a great job of uh in scouting and player dev um he does a great job of identifying talent in other organizations and their player development staff has been excellent that has been excellent um the fact that they've been able to turn out brandon woodruff and corbin burns and freddie peralta and, and josh Hader previously like they definitely build high-end pitching talent and have been able to find those guys in places that you might not expect so if you can couple that genius with the fact that the Mets could outspend everyone by an order of magnitude, you make better decisions on the free agent market. There is no obvious reason why the Mets can't be great. And Steve Cohen is going to leave no stone unturned in making that team great. And for my money, David Stearns is a really good place to start. The one uh, note that I'll add here is that Craig Council, the manager, his manager previously in Milwaukee, is a free agent. And I think there's a non-zero chance that Craig Council winds up following him there. I think they'll make him the highest paid manager in baseball. I think Buck Showalter, whom I believe is a remarkably overrated manager, will uh, will get the boot. I think that'll be an easy thing for them to do. I don't know it for sure, but if Craig Council's available and Steve Cohen wants to pay him, then he's going to be their manager next year and not Buck. Yeah, with all you just said, it sounds great. Stearns is going to the Mets. He's screwed. <laughs> That's just how it works. He's going to the Mets. Jets, Mets. It is what it is. All right. I was just uh, a little bit earlier. We're going to play it later. We taped uh, a segment with Tony Gwynn Jr., uh, broadcaster for the Padres, and obviously he's in Los Angeles. They're taking on the Dodgers. And I was reading off all this stuff about Freddie Freeman, who turned 34 yesterday, like all these great things he's doing. You think of all the great things Matt Olson's doing. They got no chance at the MVP, and they're having unbelievable <laughs> years. I mean, you can imagine Freddie Freeman's doing all this. He's got no shot. Matt Olson's doing all this. Got no shot. This is Acuna. This is Betts. Where are you going? Yeah, Freeman is going to have 60 doubles, and Olson's going to have 60 homers. And, and they got no shot. <laughs> so um, the NL MVP uh, discussion this year is a fascinating one. And I know you want me to come on and, and have some sort of provocative opinion and a strong take, because I am, after all, an ESPN employee. But honestly, I can't do that. In I mean, it's in the book. You're, you're a hot Got take artist. Yeah, we just, we're just we selling off the shelves here, man. Hotcakes. Um, 
the right answer here is that there are two right answers to this question. And that's not an interesting thing to say. It's not a provocative opinion, but these are two players having uniquely outstanding seasons. And it really comes down to what your priority is as a voter. So I'm not a voter. I want to make that clear. But if I were to put myself in the shoes of a voter, to me, this is a close enough thing that I'd be looking to break ties. Acuna is going to have the 40 homer, 70 steal thing, which is super cool and flashy. Betts obviously has statistical advantages in a variety of ways and is probably going to have the advantage in all the versions of wins above replacement. For me, the reason why I would lean towards Mookie Betts is the fact that he provides his manager remarkable and unprecedented position versatility. Mookie Betts, on a whim this year, has played nearly 60 games at second base, and he's done so positively. He's got a he's plus uh, in terms of his defensive run saved, his outs above average. Mookie Betts is adding value at, at the what, the third or fourth most important position on the diamond, and he's doing that in order to enable Jason Hayward to play right field, who hits a lot better than whomever the Dodgers might be playing at second base. Let's think about that for a second. He's also, by the way, played 16 games at short. He's got an OPS of 1,000 at all three positions. So let's think <laughs> about this for a second, right? This guy this guy is having a, a yeah. ludicrous season as a hitter. Not quite the Acuna season because he doesn't have the steals, but he's having a ludicrous season as a hitter. And he is doing something that a lot of people that train their entire lives to do can't do as well as him. Play second base at, a, at, a, at an above league average level. That is an insane proposition, my friend. Mookie Betts is one of the best athletes to ever play this game. What he is doing is impossibly hard. What he is doing is one step below what Shohei Otani did for three years. To be able to just play second base and do it that well while also mashing at the top of the order to give your manager the opportunity to fill out the best lineup card he possibly can, to me, is a tiebreaker, which is why if I had to vote today, I would go Mookie, but I also have the right to change my mind over the next three weeks. Uh, I'm with you. I'd vote Mookie too. By the way, the only guy to miss more time at work than you is Mike Trout. Uh, (laughs) We can sit here all we want, and no one's seen Mike Trout more than us, and he's, other than Barry Bonds, was the best player I've ever seen. Other than Barry Bonds, he was best. But I can't get the guy on the field. The guy hadn't played in 150 games since 2016. Uh, since 2016, he's only played 141 time. You've got a ton of money left on the deal. Uh, who would want that? I mean, he can't stay healthy. He's owed $35 million annually through 2030. It's a ton of money. It's a huge commitment. And because of his health concerns, it is an enormous risk. So the Angels are either going to – I can't believe I'm saying this about literally Mickey Mantle. Yeah. But the Angels are either going to have to give him away, right, and, and accept almost nothing in return or effectively buy prospects, right? Because th- that's, there's not a third option where you get everything that you want from another team and they're willing to pay you everything. Unfortunately, that ship has sailed on Mike Trout. Like, it's really sad, like, what has happened here. But Mike Trout has gone from being, like, the player who I believed was going to be the best player we had seen since Barry Bonds. And if you throw him out, literally Henry Aaron, he was on that kind of trajectory and presumably clean to a player now who you literally forget about because he's obscured by the fact that he never played and he, that he never plays and the fact that his team stinks all night. It's terribly a shame. Now, I think it's still worth having the thought exercise, who might be able to, who might want Mike Trout? So I'm going to give you three teams, and I want you to tell me if any of these three teams match up with your list. Oakland. Naturally, my... <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, um, my hometown no? Phillies are, have, to, have to be on this list. Let me explain myself. Okay. I got three teams for you. The first are the Phillies, and it's merely because we know they're a big market. They're willing to spend, and we know Mike Trout is a Philly guy, loves Philly through and through. It would be a homecoming of sorts. Seeing him play left field while Bryce Harper's playing right field 
would really be something Ooh. to behold, and they have enough prospects capital <laughs> if they're willing just to blow through the luxury tax. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two is the Giants. The reason I think the Giants are an interesting team is because they have swung and missed on so many free agents they've pretended to try to get in years past. So they actually have the money, right? They actually have the money to spend if they want to, and they can really sell Mike Trout as, you can be the face of our franchise. This is something that we've missed since having Buster Posey, and we can sell you on that. Who knows if, he's in, if he can stay healthy wherever he goes, but at least the Giants can pay him and, and theoretically need him. And the third is the Baltimore Orioles. And this is going to be a, a peculiar one because they don't spend Whoa. any money. They don't spend any money. But if, if, if we're living in a world in which the Angels are willing to buy, buy prospects, the Orioles have gobs and gobs and gobs of prospects. The Orioles have the number one farm system in baseball. The Orioles also have so little uh, future money tied up that they could probably afford to pay Mike Trout 20 or $25 million a year if we're living in a world in which they decide they want to avert from what they've done from, for so many years, which is cry poor and play small market in the American League East, right? Again, this is Mike Trout coming uh, to the East Coast to an up-and-coming team and can provide like the sort of veteran presence that they just don't have, which might wind up being their undoing in the playoffs. So to me, it's the Phillies, the Giants, and the Orioles as just three like top-of-head teams as I did the thought exercise to prepare for today that makes some sense. What say you? I hear you on Philly. I Giants Baltimore that's out of left field. I, I think it's a dumb play, and I think the one team that would make the dumb play is the Yankees. The Yankees Ooh. are the, the Yankees are always going to look for stardom. They're gonna we can keep them healthy. We'll do like an NBA load management. I think the Yankees would be the team that I I think Philly and New York. I think it's got to be an East Coast team because I know people brought up Dodgers. There is no way the Angels are going to have him in L.A. right next door. And if he does turn back into Mike Trout, you got to live with that every day in your market. No way. They want his ass out of here. By the way, quickly, because I know you got to go. We both grew up huge Phillies fans. You and I, what we I mean, I grew up. I mean, it was Larry Boa on my wall. It was Vaughn Hayes on my wall. You know how much I love the Phillies. How you think our Phillies can go on another run here? I think the Phillies are going to be live in the playoffs again. Um, the National League is is more open for discussion than I thought it might be. Do the Braves have the best team? Yes. The Braves clearly and obviously have the best team. That lineup is ridiculous. I mean, the Braves have one of the best lineups I have ever seen. Um, like the Braves have like the bottom third of the Braves order can play in the middle of almost any order in baseball. It's like the depth and length of that lineup combined with the star power makes it one of the best ever. They might be the first team ever to slug 500 as a team. Nuts. Absolutely crazy what the Braves are doing. But I wonder about the pitching. Like I really wonder about that pitching. Uh, it, was, it was their undoing in the playoffs last year. They obviously got representative pitching the year before when they won the championship. But I watched the Phillies ambush the Braves in that series in the NLDS last year. I was there for game three, the Reese Hoskins bat flip game, uh, bat uh, spike game, the Bryce Harper home run back to back. Like that was, I was there. Like I felt that. Um, and the Braves are a team that historically has underachieved in the playoffs. That's not necessarily predictive, but I'm not sure that they have the pitching um, that the Phillies do. Candidly, the Phillies have way more people that I trust. Um, whether it be starters, whether it be swingmen, whether it be relievers on the back end, even though they're not pitching that great right now. Because Rob Thompson really manipulated that bullpen very effectively last year. Right now, Trey Turner is as hot as anybody in the sport. Bryce Harper last year carried the Phillies to the World Series. There's so many dudes in that lineup that can swing your win probability. That to me, if I'm going to rank this stuff, I think the Braves have the best chance, of course. I think the Phillies are second, though, ahead of the Dodgers, given all the pitching issues that they have. And candidly, the American League is like throwing a dart. 
So like, to me, if you were to ask me right this second, who I think are the, have the best chance of getting to the series in order, one Braves, two Phillies, and then I throw my hands up. I have no idea. Only thing that matters in sports right now, we're going for the sweep of the Astros today. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <boy>. <laughs> hey, I, by the way, I just hit the floor twice loudly with my foot, which means you got to change up. So just sit and drive that the other way. (laughs) I mean, you're a bestseller. You're on TV. You're young. You're good looking. You got kids now. I mean, the world is your oyster. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. You are right. I I do have kids now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, buddy. Be well, my friend. Continued success. We'll talk soon. And we'll keep promoting. We'll keep promoting. You got kids. I got to get you some You're money. the best, man. You're the best, man. Take care. The great Paul Himbikides, better known as Himbo, here on A's Cast Live. Best-selling author on television. All of the stats that they get for Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football. I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them are done by Himbo. So when you're trying to make your guy A-Rod look smart, it's Himbo who's doing it behind the scenes. But he's also on the screen on Get Up. I will, I'd like to say I watch the show, but I don't get up at 6 in the morning to watch ESPN. What time is that thing on? It's, it's I think it's at 6 a.m., to be honest. It's um, but, yeah, he's, he's, sta- he's carving out a really nice career for himself and – we developed a, a really good relationship, and we're lucky to have them. The book is Got Your Number, The Greatest Sports Legends and the Numbers They Own. Mike Greenberg and Paul Himbikides, also known as Himbo. Check it out. We'll make it, it, it actually is a lot of fun, and a lot of people love numbers. I've, as I've gotten wiser in my time as a sports fan, I don't really care about numbers anymore. I don't know why. Like I, I seriously, it's it's been like when people go, oh, yeah, his number. I I can't remember what anybody's number is anymore because I just don't care. Nobody's gonna no. You're not. We're not retiring anybody's number anyway. So why the hell does it matter what that guy's number is? I thought we were already building the statue, and retiring, putting Gelloff's number twenty up. In That's the different. That is different. What is Gelloff? Gelloff is what twenty. Twenty. Who cares? Why Why do we care what a guy's number is? Is that kind of archaic? I think I think some people like the historical side of it, and you know, what's when they, the historical when they side look at like the numbers. best players or that uniform for their team or in the sport. Like twenty three is an iconic number because of Michael Jordan, LeBron James. People now say twenty four and or eight because of Kobe that's Bryant. Just, that's just we are so in our own little utopias. Years from now, no one's going to know who wore number twenty three, and no one's going to care. Shots fired at LeBron James. Okay. I mean, some of the greatest basketball. What did Wilt wear? Wilt was number 13. Always? I don't know, but I know he's number 13. Okay. What was Bill Russell? Uh, Six. Are you sure about that? Yes. What was Koozie? Okay, you're way back for me. Uh, I'm just saying. 20? I don't know. Let's see. Bob Koozie. I mean, I got a a bigger life than knowing what guys – 14. 14. What was Russell? You sure he was six? I don't know. I have no I couldn't tell you if he was an 11, one, double zero. What number was Bill Russell? Six. So I was right. Uh, know your basketball history. 
That's not history. It's a stupid number on a guy's back. It's dumb. I've always – I mean, unless you're a quarterback, I don't think – he's number 88 as a wide receiver. Really? That's your history? Man, you guys don't even know how to run pass patterns. You don't even know defenses. You don't know the difference between cover two, cover one, cover three. You have no – but you know what number a receiver is? Get the hell out of here. What number was Larry Bird? 33, right? So number was Jose. Jose Canseco, number 33. <laughs> what was Stan Javier with the A's? There's some, but Dave Feldman would know the answer. I feel like it's like 11. I have no clue. Look. What was Josh Donaldson? 20. Cespedes. 52. He was 52? Yeah. Uh, San Javier was uh, 28. Zito was 71. Five. (laughs) Well, he's right here. Yeah, he was 75. (laughs) What was Mulder? Well, that's not fair. He's right here. Yeah, he's right. Mulder was 22? How many guys do we have 20? I mean, he was 22. Yeah. How many 20s do we got? We got him, Mulder, and if you're retiring one, Geloff, Mulder, or Donaldson. Do you see how <laughs> insignificant a number is when we're going to say, hey, how about all the guys who wore 20 for the A's? Look at all the guys who wore We're 30. going Geloff. We're going JD. We got Mulder. Who else? There's- I mean, come on. There is a number that we should retire. And I was going to get into this Friday, but since somehow we got into it, uh, number six should be off the board. I got it right here, right? Yeah, I got the bando right here. Number six. Number six should come off the board for two reasons. Obviously, Captain Sal is somebody that when you talk to all these guys, which I've talked to them all, I've been very fortunate because this all happened while I was just being born and I was just a baby. But when you talk to all these guys – They're in their 70s, and they always – and we recently just lost him. But they always referred to him as Captain Sal. They haven't played baseball with Sal Bando for how many years? And they still refer to – their grandpas. They're they're at the last part of their life, and they still refer to him as Captain Sal. That tells you what kind of leader Sal Bando was. So you could go with all the offensive categories. You could go with all the defensive categories. You could go with the three World Series. You could go with all of that. But the fact that you've got men at the latter part of their life still referring to their friend as the captain, that tells you what kind of leader, what kind of man Sal Bando was. Because at some point, let's face it, the World Series rings don't matter. Right? The glory of that. You know what? I learned this. You don't take that. You don't take anything with you to the grave. Your World Series rings don't come with you. Your money doesn't come with you. Your fame doesn't come with you. None of that matters. Those are all, these are just possessions. You don't take any of this, and I'm trying to be morbid, but you don't take any of this to the grave. I learned that burying my parents. And I can tell you right now, I could walk in the other room. If you don't know, my grandfather was the most valuable player of the National League in 1947. I have in my possession the trophy, the 1947 MVP trophy. I've got all kinds of stuff. My grandfather, all the all-star games, all the different stuff my grandfather was involved in. I've got it. He couldn't take it with him to the grave. But you know what? You can. The respect 
and the love from the people that were with you and around you. And that 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 will live forever. That's Sal Bando right there to me. Because, you know, let's face it, what am I going to say about Captain Sal, the player? I can read his I can I can read his stats and act like, but I I, I mean I was too young. I mean, he was like when I was a real little kid, and remember, I think it was, he was a brewer, right? Yeah, he would have been, yeah, would after he's done in Oakland. So it's like, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I've had the opportunity to interview him multiple times. But Cat, Sal Bando, the way he affected other human beings is dramatic. Dramatic. That's his biggest skill. That's, is one, of, that's one of the things that he should be remembered by with the World Series, with the numbers, being a great third baseman, that's one. Number two is Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin is the winningest manager, and he wore number six because of Captain Sal. Because it was Bob Melvin's kind of fork-in-the-road moment in life where Sal Bando helped Bob Melvin put him on the path that he's been on now for years. So he wore number six to honor Sal Bando for what Sal Bando did for him in Milwaukee years ago. And then comes to us at a time when it was awful. It was like now. It was like now. But a different kind of awful, right? Like there's direction now. Under Bob Guerin losing, there was no direction. This was a rudderless ship. This ship's rudder went, eh, and the boat was, eh, which way is the boat going? Jamile Weeks is your untouchable player. Jack Cost is your best player. <laughs> You're trying to tell me how great Derek Barton is? We got problems. See, that's old, the- old, old Townie will sniff it out for you. Because if you remember back in those days, were you on 97? We're, yeah, we were on 95-7 game at that time. I'm like going, this doesn't work. This is not, no, this is bad. Derek Barton stinks. Um, was this one the the, the first? What match number came was up? Derek Barton? If you remember this, you're a loser. Mm, Cuss was 33. Barton was. Yeah, I don't know. That was six. No, nine. Why are you looking at me? I don't know. I'll go. He's something like he's like a 15 or 16 or something like that. Ten. Ten. He was a one and then something. So, that was bad. And when you had, when Billy Bean had to fire him, you knew it was bad. When, when he had to go, Bob Guerin, you got to go. It was after a Baltimore series. Things were so bad. Whatever data they were using and how they were putting the team together was not working and all of a sudden leaving Baltimore arrive in Chicago on what side south side and they fired him Bean flew to Chicago Melvin flew to Chicago the rest is history and Bob tells a story about after that series like he like like he's he's in the dugout in Chicago and like kind of lean forward a little bit Bob will tell you, like, he was, like, leaning back going, what's this guy's name? Like, he didn't know who the players were. And on the way back from Chicago, because they came back to the Bay Area, 
Bob Melvin literally was reading the media guide to find out who are these guys. Who are these guys? And the A's end up having an unbelievable run with Bob Melvin. And it was, I mean, it's been a crazy ride, right? It's been a crazy ride where you had players. I mean, just think of all the different guys that showed up in 12, 13, and 14. Just think of all the guys 18, 19, 20. All the different players that would come through. And you'd be, like when you really look back on it and you wonder, like, how the hell did they win with this crop of players? This wasn't like all of a sudden you brought up Jeter, Posada, uh, you had Bernie Williams. You had this, like, core that you brought up and you built around the core. You had you sent Josh Donaldson back to AAA. He was hitting 87. Scott Sizemore was supposed to be your third baseman. He got hurt. One point you had Kia Kaihue, and then you're bringing up some guy, Brandon Moss. I mean, you had all this weird stuff that worked. All this craziness worked. Scott Casimir goes from being a Sugarland Skeeter to an all-star. <laughs> Travis Blackley's winning games. I mean, I mean, who are these guys? A.J. Griffin. Ryan Cook's an all-star? Who's Ryan Cook? Where are they now? Grant Balfour? Becomes an all-star closer. Who's Grant Balfour? I mean, all this craziness worked. Marcus Simeon comes over from Chicago. He can't catch a cold. If it wasn't for Matt Olson, he would have had well over 40 years that one year. He had the one year he had like 25 home runs, then he hurt his wrist, and you're like, eh, what is this guy? Is he really more an outfielder? And then all of a sudden, Wash comes in and whoop. Marcus Simeon is one of the best players in baseball. Uh, how does how do you figure that one out? How do you figure that one out? I mean, the stories. Tommy Malone. Tommy Malone is still playing, by the way. Shout Toma. out, shout out, my guy Tommy Malone, the USC Trojan. He's still pitching. But yeah, think about these guys. All these different players. Chris Bassett. Who that? Does anybody? Uh, I don't remember anybody calling the postgame show when the trade was made with the White Sox that Chris Bassett was coming to town and people were happy. Zobris was traded for who? Shamaniah. Who? Guy with a bad hip, never lived up to his draft status. He ends up winning a lot of games. Shamaniah is over here. We even see Shamaniah right Actually, here. Actually, didn't didn't we look it up? Doesn't he have like the most wins in the last twenty gr- something years? Out of that group, yeah, I think it was like the last twenty something years. Or no, yeah, so it's probably a big three. Shamaniah has the yeah. most wins. Yeah, well, like, you, it was like you, fifty. You, you say wins don't matter, so I don't know why you're bringing it up. But Sean Manaya, uh, yeah, just think about all these guys that won games, all these guys that closed out games. Liam Hendricks. DFA'd from DFA'd to starting the wild card game, from DFA'd to being an all star, from being DFA'd to being on the cover of the media guide. Can't make it up. Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan had one of the greatest years of any reliever in the history of baseball. It was one year, but it was truly one of the greatest years of any. What was he, 11 and 2 with all those saves? Yeah, a year under one. I mean, it was incredible. All that happened under Bob Melvin. That's all craziness. It's randomness. As much as people in baseball, they don't want to be in randomness, our our rosters, our playoff runs have all been random. All been random. It was all under Bob Melvin. 
Bob Melvin's leadership meant something. And they finally, I can't speak for them, and I know there's always battles, but I think there was a moment, the front office and a manager, it really gelled. It really gelled. Bean and Melvin became tight. They're still tight to this day. And it worked. And all the craziness and randomness, it was a circus, and Bob Melvin could lead that circus. And you believed, and they all believed, right? That's why I came up with this, because I noticed it. Flying with the team, being around with the team. Somebody's got to be at the front of the plane. Somebody's got to be at the front of the bus. Somebody's got to lead. And Bob Melvin was that guy. And that's when people would call in and criticize Bob Melvin. I, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, do, do you understand professional sports? Well, Bob didn't do this, and Bob didn't. Like, you don't, the only reason why we're here is because of this man. You think it's because of the players, the individual players? Because the players keep switching in and out, in and out, in and out. And they, we keep being, somehow we're still competitive. Because this guy's leadership meant something. Leadership means something. It means something in life. It may, that's what this, this is what this number represents. That's why we should retire it. Number six represents leadership. Captain Sal, leadership. Bob Melvin, leadership. We should retire number six and do it when the Padres are in town. Obviously not now. Next year, when the Padres are in town, retire it. Bring Captain Sal's family out. Bring Bob Melvin's family out and retire number six. It's fitting. No one should ever wear six again. That's my two cents. If you want to talk about numbers, that would mean something to me versus do I know people's – no, I don't know people's numbers. I don't care. I care – I'll go cheesy on you. I care about the name on the front of the jersey. <laughs> you care about the name on the back. I care about the front. Uh, I, care about, I care about the stats on the back of the baseball card. You're Keenan Allen, former Cal Bear. That's a, that's Los Angeles Charger. No, right. you, you think of him as San Diego Charger. I remember – Keenan Allen – I'm pointing to the name on the back. Me, me, me. I, I, I. I'm, I'm, I'm on the front, as the A's guys like to do. That's my two cents on number six and the number that should matter to you. It's a good number. I think the NBA, because of Bill Russell when he passed, I think they all had, were wearing number six patches, like we kind of do with with Captain Sal and Vida. I think the whole league was wearing six. Like, so yeah, six is a powerful number and. Not, I mean, obviously in, in, in our lore, but in sports well, overall. Well, I got the book of numbers here. What's Hembo have for number six? Who's number six? It's probably Bill Russell. If not, it's a Yankee honk. What Yankee wore six? I have no idea. Well, there's definitely a Yankee that wore six. It's got to be Bill Russell. Bill Russell was the greatest winner in the history of American sports. Yankees. Vince Lombardi famously said, Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. That is so awesome. Yeah, read Lombardi stuff. You start to realize where we are in sports today, we're soft. Uh, you're so into number 20. Who's number 20? Oh, well, here you go. Uh, retired number in the Yankee lore, Joe Torre. Apparently Mickey Mantle wore in his rookie That's year. That St. Louis Cardinal hack, Joe Torre. I remember him as a brave. I don't know about you. Oh, they go Barry Sanders number 20. See, this is a good book. The Yankees was Posada. 
His is not retired. Is it really? Uh, no, 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 I think it's just the numbers that people wore the numbers. Well, maybe it is the numbers. No. I'm about to say, I mean, you're going to run out of numbers. Next thing you know, guys with the Yankees are going to be 100. And, hey, uh, now batting the left fielder, number 103. <laughs> Uh, Yankees numbers retired. They do have a lot of numbers retired. <laughs> they but, do. Uh, Yankees number. You imagine you show up, you've worn like five your entire life. Nope, that's out. Well, what about six? Nope, that's out. Well, what about two? Nope, nope, nope. Now batting number 114. <laughs> uh, this is on MLB.com. List of all-time Yankee numbers retired. Two, one, two, three, four, five. No, that was right. Joe Torre's six is retired. Who's the one we were wondering? Number 20, right? Posada. Jorge Posada retired. His is retired? Bernie Williams retired. Hold on. What? Uh, 17 seasons with the Yankees. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Don Malley, 23. All right. Uh, Casey Stengel, Mariano Rivera, Bernie Williams, Mr. October. Reginald Martinez. Andy Pettit. Ron Guidry. That's those numbers retired. Oh, Bernie, number 51, but that's not what's him. I mean, you're going to get to a point. Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill was a great player for them. I think he's a broadcaster too, right? Is he? Yeah, he's on their. What, he, he was on four? He was on four of the championships. Actually, well, this article's old. When is this article from? Well, uh, they, did, they just retired Paul O'Neill's recently. Yeah, so yeah, this is from this 2021. So, yeah, Paul O'Neill might be the most recent one. Uh, 2022, yeah. Last year. I mean, you get to the Yankees, you got to you, – I mean, you've got to be creative. Like, you want, like, a special number, you got to get creative. No wonder a lot of the relievers were high numbers. I want – yeah. Adam Otto, Ottavino is always zero. I'm going, do, I'm going Jim Otto, double zero. <laughs> now batting double zero. What's Aaron Judge? 52? Want to say judges? I'm gonna go like Win Lynn Swan. Oh, sorry, he's 99. Oh, he's 99. Yes, yeah, so you got to go with a cool number. What about John Carlo? Does he still like, play? John Carlo's still on the Yankees. How about how about are the Yankees gonna retire Carlos Rodon's jersey or? Oof. Is that too soon or? 27, that's what I thought. John Carlos, 27. All right, I am so off the map here. Where are we? We got uh, Scott Miller's in nine minutes. He's in nine minutes, yeah. and when are we doing Tony Gwynn Jr.? Three o'clock. Because I really want to bust your chops on something. And, I, and, I, and I've been thinking about it, and it's so interesting to me that batting average is kind of coming back in vogue especially when you're looking at the, the top players in the game. And the uh, anti-batting average people are, you know, they're, they're starting to take some heat. And I read last night, getting ready for this, and I just don't know if I'm going to have time, but I'm just going to leave you with this. Because, you know, I, I talk about how our game is a game of math. It's simply a game of math. And I saw this for both pitchers and position players. War is entirely context neutral. 
context neutral. So whatever it is, it's just an equation. We don't know what was going on, who, what, when, where, and how. You took journalism classes. Who, what, when, where, and how. War doesn't care. This means that it doesn't take into account some hits are more important in games than others. Would you dispute that? No. Sometimes a single can be more valuable than a triple. Do you dispute that? Yeah, a little bit. Because the triples work more towards your slugging percentage. So you think a triple is more important than a hit that brings in a run? Well, triple can bring in a run, too. But what's it? But it says a single can be more yeah. valuable than a triple. You just said you dispute that. Yeah, but, well, you just said a single. Yeah, well, we weren't given parameters. It just said. I don't know. Do I have to need to read this again to you? A single can be more valuable than a triple. I said, do you agree with that or disagree with that? You said, do I, do I, need, to re, do I need to roll the tape back? No, I, I. You disagreed with it. Already you're starting. All I said was, can a single be more valuable than a triple? Actually, yeah, I can. Now that you, I read it again, yes. Because of the guy. I didn't think Already about that. he's defensive. See where we're going? Already. I just did this recently with Eno Saris, where I finally got Eno Saris to admit he thinks strikeouts are more important. Am I wrong? He thinks strikeouts are more important than runs given up. It was on the show. Do we need to go back to the tape? It was last week at the Coliseum. And he did not, and I had to, like, bring it out of him. These guys are prisoners of what's been going on in baseball. And it, we're now also finding out it's also not all that popular, except with the, as Eno Saris calls them, the nerds. <laughs> How could you honestly say that a single is not better than a walk? In Moneyball, they tried to sell us do I care how he gets on first base? You the not. answer? You do not. But the reality is a single can be a lot more. A lot more things can happen when I put the ball in play. I can hit a ball to the left side, beat it out. It's a single. And the infielder whoop, throws it down the right field line. Now I'm at second base. And I'm in scoring position. Can I do that on a, on a walk? No. Runner on third. I get a single. What happens? Say it again. Runner on third. Runner on third. I get a single. What run scores? What happens on a walk? Go to first base. So all of a sudden, I'm showing you pretty simple. It's very hard to say that a walk is equal to a single because there's things that are happening when I get a single. When I get a single into the outfield, I get a single, and a guy boots it around, I get to second, it's a single E8. I don't get credit for the E8, but I get credit for the single. But I did something inside the game that was better to help my team win. Context. Same thing in the NBA. Steph Curry hits a game-winning three. The other player on the other team, his team's getting blown out. He shoots Three threes at the end of the game, which is nine points, we go, that's garbage time, doesn't matter. Steph Curry's three to win the game, that's what matters. That's called context. Baseball can't figure that out. 
Baseball would have given the guy who got three point three three pointers at an end of a garbage game nine points that didn't matter, maybe affected the over and under or the spread, but we're not gambling here. That guy would have got more credit than Steph Curry's game-winning three. And we go, of course, not in baseball, because there's no context when it comes to our sabermetrics. There's no context. They don't care. You could get three walks in a game. It could be cold, Wrigley Field, early part of the year, wind. It's freezing, right? Those games at Wrigley, the wind's blowing off. Pitchers have no idea where it's going. You could have one of these series where you walk four or five times, a couple winning data dingers. It's just freakish because of but there's no context to that. You come walking out of that, man, slugs up, on bases up, everything's way up. There's no context. There's no context to anything in baseball. And then we turn around and we use these numbers like, up, oh, look at his war. Look at his OPS plus. Well, we don't know. We don't know who was against, how was against, when did it matter? Because you'll tell me I'd rather have a guy make a one-handed amazing catch in the NFL, game-winning touchdown, that's better than the guy whose team was down 35-3 and he gets two garbage TD catches at the end of the game because the defense wasn't playing hard. That's contacts, right? Correct, yes. But in our sport, no. The guy that got two garbage touchdowns will get more credit than the guy that made the one-handed spectacular catch at the end of the game to win the game. That's a problem. The thing that people would say, too, that comes in the fantasy, there's people like, well, my guy caught two touchdowns of garbage. I, yes, that's I, and, yeah. and, and, and yes, and I've said that before. That is the problem is you guys view that more importantly than actual winning games. You view sports through the lens of fantasy. Do I need to, do I need to look up the definition of fantasy? Not fantasy football, fantasy. Not real. Let's see what the definition. What does fantasy mean? So this is, a fantasy is something you imagine, which you might involve dragons, unicorns, or an imaginary best friend. If you live in a fantasy world, you're not, you're not worrying uh, much about reality. Pleasant, maybe, but not very practical. I just love that it had dragons in there. It had to have dragons in there. Ah, I threw unicorns (laughs) in there. You got Shohei Otani. You live in the fantasy world, which is, guess what? Not real. Fantasy football leagues are a personal thing. It's your unicorn world. It's your utopia. But in the world of sports, right, what's more important, the game-winning catch or the guy who's caught two touchdowns in in a game that didn't matter? The game-winning touchdown. But we can't do that in baseball. We literally cannot do that the nerds can't do that they can't they can't they don't want to put context to anything because it challenges the numbers we can't challenge the numbers because we can't put context to it this guy hit 30 home runs well when did he hit him when how where who what when where and how we don't do that that's why that's why a lot of those home runs that chris davis hit for the a's a lot of them were Important home runs. Very important home runs. They weren't home runs where the team was down 15 to 1. And but the voters didn't know it, so he didn't get a whole lot of any love. And you're like, wait a minute. These are good teams, and Chris Davis is doing something amazing. There's no context. And that's the whole thing. And by the way, speaking of batting average, so I can prove to you that hits do matter, right? 
will you agree with this? That three true outcome guys, I think because I think the real reason people wanted to discount average is because they wanted to make people who don't hit for average important. That's fair. You're talking about the guys like Adam Dunn. Okay, they wanted to make them important. But wouldn't you say this, that this is a generalization, that the majority of the time, the guys who do hit for average are better athletes than the guys that are three true outcome guys? Yes. So the guys who hit for average who are better athletes usually are better defenders, better base runners, and help you win games in a lot of different ways versus the three true outcome guys. Yes. That's called context. And that's been my whole point when people like Cody and all that, ah, batting average doesn't matter. Really? I can give I just give you a bunch of instances on how a hit is better than a walk. And has anyone sucked who hits three hundred? I can give you a lot of guys hitting under two twenty. They're in the A's lineup. Fair. Well, there are, there, I guess the, uh, before we call Scott Miller, the argument could be there are guys that hit 300, but they're not driving in runs and things like that. But they don't but, suck. But yeah, but they're getting on base still. Zach Geloff's hitting 271. You know what? His 271 is so different from everybody else's. It's like light years. Well, because, yeah, because he has extra base hits, home runs, still. Ba- I mean, he, gets, he puts the ball in play. Yeah. You know what average? It's an average. Remember, it's an average. Do I need to get the definition of average? No. It's an average. It means when you go to the plate, three out of ten times, your ball's going to land in fair territory and not be out. It's an average. And for some reason, people have tried to say, oh, that doesn't matter. I really have a guy that just hits home runs because look at his slugging. Now he doesn't tell you when he hits home runs. He doesn't tell you that the guy can't play defense, the guy can't run, he's a liability and so many, and – he just hits home runs. That's what was sold to us. Would you agree we're starting to – we're starting to when we look at a Mookie Betts, a Ronald Acuna Jr., a Freddie Freeman, when we're starting to look at this, we're starting to come back going, huh, all-around hitters really are far better than the guys that just hit home runs. I never thought they weren't. But, yeah, I, th- I don't – Oh, well, they argued a lot. If you're going to say average doesn't mean anything, I got a bunch of guys who got average. They're the best players in the game. To be the best player in the game, you're not going to be somebody hitting 220. Probably not, no. Well, not probably not. not. You're not going to. I'm going to call Scott. All right. You're getting out of this easy, by the way. And I want to get to Mike Petriello at one point telling me, ah, no one hits for averaging more as an MVP. Oh, really? Oh, didn't answer. I'll text him and tell him we're calling, what we're calling from. We will have Tony Gwynn Jr. joining us in just a little bit. Um, (laughs) It's just crazy. (laughs) Talking about how people viewed the Padres going into this year and how it's it's officially a disaster it has been. By the way, 68 and 78. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scott, welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? Yes, I am. Can you you got me? I got you. How are you? How have you been? Hey, good. All good. Good, good, good. How are you? Uh, we're, we're doing well. Uh, a rare thing is happening up here in Oakland. I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, the A's are trying to sweep the Astros in Houston today. I heard it, yes. <laughs> Sears was good last night. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's nice to see. Mark Kotze and his staff and the players deserve so much better than they've gotten. They're good people. They're good baseball guys. And, you know, when a team is rebuilding or whatever you want to call it, it's it's nice to see a team get better as the season goes on or get better late in the season. And, uh, you know, it's baseball. And Houston uh, – Houston better get its act together tonight. Yeah, it's crazy. But sticking with that, because I know you've known Mark Kotze for a long time, you know, I think it's big for him and his staff to start seeing these players play better down the stretch here because it really, Scott, all the hard work, all the hours, all the video, all the early hitting, all the going over pitching – just what do you think that does for a manager and his staff when it actually starts to pay off on the field? Well, it, it does It does two things. Number one, what you just said, it pays off on the field, and, 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 and that's the bottom line is how are things playing out on the field. And, and if, they're getting, if things are getting better, then wherever your starting point was, that's what you want, improvement. So that, that's the first thing. But the second thing is, you know, mentally, it is such a tough game and it is such a long season that it's, it's like anybody. If you put a ton of work into something and now if you put the, all that work in over a time period of like five, six months, and if you don't see it paying off, how discouraging is that? I mean – you begin to be depressed and question your own methods and question those you're working with. Are they doing what they should be doing? But when you're seeing this improvement, like the A's are, yeah, it's huge for Katze and his staff because they've been patient, they've been teachers, they've been nurturers, um, all of the above. And now when you get to this point in the season, where the finish line is in sight, from where they started, if you can at least feel like we've taken several steps forward this year, and so when our season ends here soon and we pick it back up next year, it'll be nice to pick up from where we left off versus if there was regression, and you're not even sure where you're going to start from next year. You know, a lot of talk about this whole drama in the AL West. Uh, it is so close right now. You, 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 obviously, you have you have Houston, but 
Look out for Seattle, Texas. We'll get into Texas and Max Scherzer in a second, but everybody's right on top of each other, jockeying for who's going to win the division, who's going to be the wild card. Obviously, Toronto in there, so somebody's going to be out of the party. But I said this yesterday, and I'll say it again today, and I'll say this going forward. Whoever you are in the American League, the last team that you want to match up against is the Houston Astros. Six straight years in the ALCS, Four World Series appearance, two World Series titles. I got to think, Scott, if you're a team in the American League, uh, the American League playoffs, and you got to some point match up with Houston, you're very afraid. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it all starts with pitching, and that's that's one enormous reason why Houston's done what they've done over the last several years. I mean, especially this year, now they've added Justin Verlander from, from the Mets, and you know, he might not be what he was in 2014, 2013, back when he was winning Cy Youngs, but he's still pretty a pretty difficult assignment. And you get, you know, again, the old proverbial short series. You get him, you get Framber Valdez can bring it. Christian Javier is phenomenal. He's the one who started the, the combined no-hitter in the World Series last year against Philadelphia. Uh, the Astros just keep throwing arms at you, number one, and also in the bullpen rotation and bullpen, one arm after another. Uh, that's the first thing. And secondly, because of, you know, everything you just laid out, all of their October experiences over the past several years, um, you know, they're not afraid in the big moments. Guys like Jose Altuve live for the big moments, and they, they step up. And, you know, if you draw the Astros in October, they're not going to beat themselves. You're going to have to step up and beat them. Well, and I and I look at where we are right now. Texas is just a game back of the Astros in the West. You look at the wild card. They're the second wild card team. They've won four in a row. We knew them going up Toronto to Toronto for four was going to be a tough test. They win the first two. But when you get the news today in that clubhouse, what do you think it's like for Bruce Bucci, who you know so well, and for the Rangers when they find out Max Scherzer is being shut down for at least the rest of the regular season? Well, it's obviously devastating news, and it's a blow. But that said, it's unbelievable how many injuries and how many things the Rangers have endured all year. I mean, that, that bullpen, especially early in the year, it was horrible. And the second half of the season, since the All-Star break, you know, Bochy and Mike Maddox, the pitching coach, have been having to, you know, plug a hole here, then plug a hole over there. It, what the, what the, the, the fact that the Rangers are where they are is just remarkable given – the lack of pitching they've already had. And then they tried to press it at the trade deadline, and now they lose Scherzer. So I think it's a combination in the Rangers' clubhouse. I, I, I think no question it's a devastating blow to lose Max Scherzer. But the flip side is I'm sure there's a part of the of Bochi and Maddox and that whole staff and in the clubhouse where it's like, all right, you know, we've answered about 20 other challenges this year. Here's one more. You know, we're not going to back down from it. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we, we put ourselves in this position, and now we're going to gather whoever we have that's healthy and productive, and we're going to do what we can to finish it off. 
Coming to town on Friday is our old buddy Bob Melvin and the San Diego Padres, a team that you've been around for years now. Uh, when we were at the winter meetings in San Diego, they were talking about the World Series. When they had their fan fest, they were talking about who they, the Padres were going to play in the World Series. They laughed about the parade route. It could be half sea, half land. Boy, that seems like a lifetime ago. Just when you look at this season, the names, the money, over $800 million is guaranteed through all these years. Darvish has been shut down for the rest of the year. Just what the hell happened in San Diego, and why are they so bad? Yeah. Well, there are a few things that work, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, on, on, you know you, to start with, it's a very uneven roster. It's so top-heavy. You know, guys like Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and Xander Bogarts, they're all-stars. Their, their Q rating is off the chart. You know, they're, 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 they're really good players. But once you got below about the fifth spot in the batting order, you know, and I should mention, a guy who wasn't a superstar but who's probably been the Padres' most valuable player all year is the infielder Ha Sung Kim. That guy has been a spark plug. But beyond the names I mentioned, on six, seven, eight, nine spots in the batting order, I mean, it, it, it's just, it. there's no punch. It just disappears. And these guys, Jake Cronenworth had a horrible year, disappointing, hugely disappointing before breaking his wrist. Uh, Trent Grisham, I, I get tired of hearing how good he is defensively, which he is, because he's hitting 203. I mean, the guy is painful to watch at the plate. I, they need to move on from Trent Grisham. Um, you know, Juan Soto, for my money, is, is vastly overrated. Um, I know it was a huge acquisition when the Padres got him, and full, full disclosure, I also thought it was a great acquisition. But once Juan Soto left Washington, um, He's a, def- he's a borderline liability defensively in the outfield. He's not very good. At the plate, I know his on-base percentage is his game, but when you've got his pop, I've never seen a potential slugger so desperate to get a walk. I mean, he goes up looking for walks, and I know his numbers have gotten better over the last six weeks or so, but Juan Soto plays for Juan Soto. He doesn't play for the team. Um, he's I think he's vastly overrated, and that's part of the reason why, you know, the Padres all season long have been among the worst teams in baseball with runners in scoring position. Uh, they've been the opposite of clutch. They have a, they, they're they're 0-11, I believe it is, in extra inning games. Correct, yeah. And they've got a horrible horrible record in one-run game. So, um, you know, they've misfired across the board in many, many areas this year. Yeah, we were we were going over that before the show because Juan Soto once again. Oh, look at all the walks and the on base percentage. And, and I just say to myself, I watched a guy walk a lot in his career, and all he did was score. His name was Ricky Henderson. If you walked yep. him, you were basically he was going to somehow figure out the way to score. It's amazing how much Juan Soto walks and gets on base and doesn't score. Exactly right. I mean, I get. I mean, look, I understand the importance of on-base percentage, but not every player is the same 
puzzle piece. I just mentioned a bit ago, Trent Grisham can't hit a lick. He's got a little bit of power, but he's hitting 200, 203. Now, on-base percentage for my money is way more important for Trent Grisham, who's not going to hit anyway, than it is for a guy like Juan Soto, who has the who has the capability of being a run producer and a run scorer. A guy like that, you want different things out of than for somebody else. And that's where I, I get so worn out hearing all about, like, oh, my gosh, Juan Soto, look at his walks. It's like, yeah, but he's not, as you point out, he's not scoring runs, and every walk is less opportunity for him to drive in runs. You know, in this game, before the game tonight, they're going to be giving out Dave Roberts bobbleheads. I know you know Dave real well. Uh, you just start. Yeah, you yeah. start. You start looking at it. Seven hundred and forty-one career wins, fourth most in Dodger history. You got Hall of Famers Walter Alston. You got Tommy Lasorda. We had to look up Wilbert Robert, uh, Robinson, who who managed the Brooklyn Robins back in the day. I mean, you look at how many games Dave Roberts has won as Dodgers skipper. Just talk about really how impressive his career has been there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because it's it's about time this guy starts getting some credit because I know his first few years, you know, a lot of people had the tendency to say, yeah, but look how loaded the Dodgers are. You know, they, they back then they had Clayton Kershaw, and for a while they had Max Scherzer, and, I mean, they had Zach Granke, I believe, when Roberts first started with the Dodgers. They had all kinds, you know, Cody Bellinger. People were like, well, they should win. Well, yeah, they should, but – Still, uh, a manager, a bad manager, can lose a lot of games, and Dave Roberts did not. Um, there also was the narrative that Andrew Friedman and his baseball operations staff is wonderful, which they are, and that you know their plug and play from the baseball ops is what's enabling the Dodgers to win. And yes, it helped, but the constant through it all has been Dave Roberts, and now this year. You know, the Dodgers traded away Justin Turner. They let Cody Bellinger go. Uh, This has been a year of transition for the Dodgers. They did not have Walker Bueller all year. Um, Clayton Kershaw is older and and just a shadow of himself. Their pitching has been mixed and matched. They have not – where they are, second-best record in the National League to Atlanta, that does not add up that they have that record with this – mediocre pitching they've got. So eventually, I think you have to look at the captain of the ship, Dave Roberts, for keeping guys together, keeping the clubhouse together. They always play hard for him. You, when was the last time you ever heard of a Dodger not running a ball out to first base? Um, the culture he's created, what he's done, uh, as I say, it's about time, I think, after all of this, that people begin to recognize what a wonderful job Dave Roberts has done and is doing as Dodgers manager. You know, right north of you, just the train wreck that is the Angels continues. Yeah. Uh, we have no idea what's going to happen with Shohei Otani. Now the discussions of Trout. You're Perry Manassian. You're running this show. I don't know what Artie Moreno wants. I don't know if he wants to sell, if he wants to be here. But Mike Trout's an all-time great. He's your guy. Right now he can't stay on the field. What are you going to do with Mike Trout? 
Yeah, I mean, that's he's going to be at, what, 82 games this year. A couple of years ago, he only played 36. Uh, you know, it's, it's sad because he's still a really good player. But, you know, I mean, he's not in his prime anymore. And the reason I say it's sad is, you know, the Angels have not, other than his rookie year in 2014, they have not been able to get Mike Trout to the playoffs. I've seen the best days of Mike Trout. Um, it is a train wreck of a franchise. Uh, you know, Trout has indicated that he wants to talk to the management this winter and get an idea of where the Angels are going. Uh, that's the first even glimmer of indication, by the way, of Trout being somewhat unhappy or questioning things in Anaheim. So, you know, what you do with him, you know, I don't know. I mean, if, if, you, lo- if you can't retain Otani, if he signs with the Dodgers or, or Seattle, and I think it's – I still like a lot of people in the industry. I think he'll end up with the Dodgers. Um, you know, I mean, you might have to look at real seriously if maybe we should trade Trout, just cut bait with both Otani and Trout and kind of start over. But – They've still got so many other issues. I mean, Anthony Rendon was a horrible contract signing, uh, but that's Artie Marino. I mean, he he's the guy that led the team to sign Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton, too. Um, he has not let his baseball people run the show without interference, and that's why they're in the position they're in. You always have your finger on the pulse of the game, and I, I do a lot of work with Dave Stewart, who's trying to get an expansion team in Nashville, the Nashville Stars. But I'm looking around, and I look at what's happening with us, Oakland, Las Vegas. I think about what's going on with Tampa. I think the issues in Anaheim, Kansas City, Chicago White Sox, Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Baltimore Orioles, and their issues. With, I mean, you're looking at a third of the league the third of ownership is looking at where they're play, playing and they're seeing problems. Things need to be done. I know they're going to try and also redo the Rogers Center up in Toronto. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff going on. It, it, does baseball really have to slow down on expansion, knowing that they, they got so many teams that have issues with their ballparks and their cities? I'm going to give you two answers to this, Chris. All right. The first first is, the logical answer is yes. Uh, Also, not only are there some teams with issues right now, but as you might have noticed, pitching remains in crisis. Nobody has enough pitching. Everybody's using openers, even the Dodgers in San Francisco. You know, there's not been – the player development in the game today, I think, is really lacking overall. Um, starting pitching is going the way of the dinosaur. I mean, I talked to Justin Verlander uh, back in July when the Tigers, I think it was Mike Manning, threw a no-hitter. And I talked to Verlander because he w- I, I was with the Mets at that point, and obviously he's still a huge name in Detroit. And I asked, he's always going to be linked to the Tigers, and I asked Verlander, um, you know, what about, how about, you know, Manning throws the first no-hitter in Detroit since you did. And he said, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's cool to always be linked with the Tigers. And he said his favorite thing was that it was a complete game no-hitter. He said because, you know, some of the no-hitters today that are tag team, 
he said, I just worry that we're going to get to a point where even on a no-hitter, fans are going to be like, well, I never even heard of any of those guys, and that's not good for the game. <laughs> so, so anyway, to your point, um, yes, logically baseball should slow down on expansion. My, I told you I was going to give you two answers. The second part of this I'll make quick. Um, I don't think baseball is going to slow down on expansion. I would predict they're going to expand by two teams fairly soon. Reason, as everything these days, money. I go back to COVID, 2020. How much? How many millions did baseball lose? How many millions did each team, and, and by extension, each team's owner lose uh, by the shutdown and, you know, 60-game season in 2020, and then 2021 was shortened as well. Quickest way, historically, to regain lost millions is through expansion and whatever, because each team has to buy into the league, pay huge expansion fees, and then that money gets divvied up. Um, I go back to the strike of 1994-95. That was horrible for the game. The players, the owners, everybody lost a gob of money. So what happened not too long after 1995, pretty quick, guess what? Expansion in 1998, Tampa Bay Rays, and um, uh, who'd they come into the league? Uh, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Arizona and Tampa Bay came in as expansion in 98, and that helped make the owners recoup their lost money from the strike. I would suspect some similar scenario to help the owners recoup lost money after COVID. Scott, it's always an honor to have you on the program. You've been helping me out for so many years. We truly appreciate it. Be well, and let's do this again soon, especially in the postseason. All right. My pleasure, Chris. Take care, buddy. Scott Miller, one of the top columnists in baseball now, New York Times, Sirius XM. I have it as XM. But Sirius XM, Baseball Channel 89, it's on both. Uh, a lot of stuff that he does around the Padres, too, being down there in San Diego. couple things there. Yeah. We have now, and obviously what's going on with us, but looking at the other teams, you're not going to have over a third of your teams all up for sale. I know that's kind of the march of the fans right now because what fans want is what they care about, and they want to work for them. Get it, right? That's how human beings work. We want what's best for us. You're not going to have over a third of the league sell their teams. It's just not happening. And that's why when you bring up, it's all coming to the forefront because we're all in our own little world. You don't realize Tampa. Milwaukee, Chicago, Anaheim, Kansas City. I mean, it's it's all over the game now. Another one, too, is the Nationals are still trying to sell, aren't they? Are they still trying to sell their team? Or the owner, Lauren, is trying to get off that they're trying to sell their team, too. So that could be another one added. Yeah, I mean, I look at that as a little different. But, yeah, I, I mean, but I'm looking at fan bases angry with owners. And, you know, because now Milwaukee, it's the roof. Chicago doesn't want to be on the south side anymore. Chicago is a dangerous – south side of Chicago is a – and I'm not speaking for people with the White Sox, but it's a very dangerous place. They can't – they feel they can't protect people. We had someone shot 
someone shoot themselves at our game against the White Sox. A gun in the ballpark. Oh, I didn't bring up Arizona. Arizona wants maybe to move to Scottsdale. I mean, it's everywhere you look. And all these fan bases are pissed. And all these fans, sell, sell. Like, so you, you just think, like, more than a third of the league is just all going to sell? I mean, that's just, it's just not, it's not, it's not how business works. It's just not how business works. And this whole idea that, well, your business is making more and you can, you can, no, that your business is worth more and you could sell it and that's where you make the profit. I get that, but. As a business owner, I can sell my business, but as I own my business, I want to run it the way I want to run it and run it the right way. So I don't personally run our family business at a loss knowing that later on I can sell it and recoup. I don't do that. That's crazy to me. But I don't think people think about that. And when I, I know we're all in a sell mode here, but... Do you really think more than a third of the league is going to sell? I'm going to lean towards no. I'm going to lead no also. So, and there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of crazy. These ballparks opened up a long time ago, but all of a sudden those ballparks are 30-something years old, right? We're sitting here now. Shark Tank has been, how, it's how old? I literally, ju- I was just with Dan Ruzanowski the other day, the voice of the Sharks, and I was talking about, the Shark Tank, because he was talking about the whole area down in San Jose and Google and all that. And he goes, and I was like, your guys' arena is one of the oldest in hockey. It's like the fourth oldest in hockey now. It's like there, uh, Anaheim, Calgary, and there's one other one. All the the other- Duck Pond? Yeah, that's like, it's like it's a, I think that one's maybe a, a year newer than the Shark I Tank. I did roller, roller hockey at the Duck Pond, the San Jose Rhinos back in the day. I didn't know that. So you learn something new every day. Yeah, I did roller hockey. I don't even know who the Anaheim team was. Denver was the Denver Daredevils. That was at the old uh, McNichols Arena where the Nuggets played. Pepsi Center now. Well, McNichols Arena has been torn down. Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. And I don't you know, I read these economists. I'm not an economist. We now have these celebrity economists. There's the guy at Stanford, and there's a couple others that they always are the ones coming in talking about how these stadium deals are bad for the public, right? You always read about these guys where they talk about that. But all of a sudden, when you start talking about taking that away, what's the first thing everybody says? How much is going to hurt the community? How much is going to hurt the jobs? How much is going to hurt all- – but wait a minute, the economist says – this is bad for the community, but you're saying if it leaves, it's bad for the community, right? I mean, I just wonder if we could go back in time as they've now talked about the tough issues dealing with San Francisco right now and how much San Francisco has spent, like CNN did like a, a whole thing on it about how much San Francisco has had to deal with their issues and how much they've spent. And a lot of people think that things haven't gotten better in the great city of San Francisco. Boy, that stadium for the 49ers doesn't look as as expensive, does it? Probably not, no. You think of all the money you've spent in some areas and you don't think anything's gotten better, it's in the billions. You know, you could have spent something like seven, $800 because remember, the 49ers were going to contribute. 
Then you had the NFL, had that the G Fund. I can't remember what the name of it was. Back when I did the Raiders, I knew all this stuff. But the, the, the NFL was going to kick in $200 million. The Niners were kicking in $200 million. You kick in like $800 million, you got a stadium. You got a stadium in San Francisco that would have hosted the Super Bowl, the national championship game, all the different events. Taylor Swift, multiple times. Beyonce, multiple times. All the WrestleMania. WrestleMania, don't the, you forget it. The, the Sharks outdoor game. I mean, all the – and some things that a lot of people don't know is how many of the tech companies rent out Levi Stadium for events. Like my buddy at the time worked at LinkedIn. LinkedIn rented out Levi Stadium for their Christmas party. Levi Stadium has been a cash cow. Well, you could add that in San Francisco. But you didn't want it. You said No. You spent money on all this other stuff. I don't want to – I mean, I'm, I'm not a city manager. I'm not a mayor. I'm not a politician. But I do read, and there's been a lot of money spent on stuff, and things haven't gotten better. And you could have had a, a building that's produced a lot of different revenue, a lot of jobs that moved to Santa Clara. It's interesting how the economists – you know, you want to take one of these economists, take the guy at Stanford, I can't remember his name, and say, huh. Where, what, what would have been the better return on investment for the city of San Francisco? Money that they've, according to CNN, billions that they've spent that hasn't worked out on certain things versus like the $800 million you would have spent on whatever the stadium would have been called. What would have been a better return on investment? Stadium. I'm not saying because I don't know. I just want to know what this economist from Stanford would say since he always – Talks about how bad it is. You know, you just wonder that how many cities spend, spend money on stuff. They, there is zero return on investment. They end up being bad, really bad investments. And yet you try and say that the facility that hosts the sports team, but then also does a lot of other things, like a lot of other events. I mean, we know we're around it every day. We see how many jobs are created for our friends and people who work at the Coliseum. Not only at the Coliseum, but also at the arena you once called Oracle. Go ahead. Say it. Oracle? Yeah. I mean, look at all the jobs. So it's like, I don't know. You got a lot of teams in baseball, a lot of teams now that are not happy. I mean, look at look what we just ran down. I mean, I got I have it in front of me, right? So I said, you've got two teams in our division, obviously, Angels and A's, Baltimore, Tampa. Toronto is looking to redo theirs. I'm not going to count them, but you could. Uh, Kansas City, Chicago. You said Washington. I'm not going to count them. Milwaukee. Arizona. That's eight. Not counting those other two. Eight of your 30 right now. Eight have some type of issue, ballpark, where they are, potential move. Eight. And you're telling me you're going to expand to two more as these eight have issues? I don't know why I'm looking at you like you're going to come up with some dramatic answer here. Yeah, but no, I am. I, 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 I mean, I know. Is, I, is it a dramatic pause? Uh, are, you, are you gathering yourself? 
No, There's I, eight. I didn't count the Nationals sale, and I didn't count Toronto. Yeah. Um, and Toronto, by the way, think about this. Toronto, because I hate going down this road. I hate going down this road. Toronto, it's looking like over $400 million to do just to redo the Rogers Center. $400 million just to the ballpark. That's not infrastructure. That's not fixing streets and doing all train tracks and doing all that kind of stuff. They're talking about $400 million just for the stadium to redo the stadium. I like to call it the Sky Dome. Would you hang? Would you pay a lot of money to hang off the top of that thing? Probably not. Not. It's not that. It's the tower next to it. Still, probably not. Have you ever seen that? No. You've never seen that? What people hanging off of it? The tower that's oh, next yes, to I've it. Oh, yes, I've seen the tower. That's the um. Whatever the hell it is. What do they call that tower? Why am I drawing a blank? It's it's not cheap to do. I looked into that one when we were playing Toronto in Toronto. The CN Tower. CN Tower. Would you hang off that thing? No. Pretty heights. I mean, I'll go up on the Sky Needle, but I won't hang off it like the bungee jump. No. You don't bungee jump. You just hang. No, I still wouldn't do it. There's no chance I'm doing that. What's that in Seattle? Uh, space, the Sky Needle. Um, Not the, the space, space Needle. Space Needle. So I went up. I went up in that. When did I go up with that? Was that against it? See, I was either there with the A's or the Raiders. I was just there and did it. And... When you get up there, it's a glass floor. Like, first of all, that's not a glass floor, but if you walk out, it's a glass floor. That rotates. <laughs> I, 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 oh, dude, I was like, no. I was like, I'm cool looking out and how beautiful it is in Seattle. Because when I was up there, it was actually not a cloudy day. It wasn't rainy. And it was awesome. And it was beautiful. And the minute I looked down, oh, my God. And people are like going out to like the 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 end of it, which is why it's 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 like it's it's like plexiglass, whatever. And they're like sitting on it, taking pictures, and it gave. I don't have anxiety. All of a sudden, I got anxiety. I was watching it, and it freaked me out. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. When, when they're like they're, it, they they want the picture to look like they're falling. Yeah. I, into I, downtown Seattle, and I just. The fact that they'd put their bodies out there on that, obviously that glass is not going to break. It's perfectly safe. But to me, I'm in panic mode. Just watching them gave me the heebie-jeebies. I saw it happen in July for the All-Star game. Their people, I mean, it was packed the whole time up there. And you look down, it's so far down. Yeah. Those, I did it one other time. The first time my wife and I went to Seattle, we did it. I remember it more this time because I remember like going on seeing the rotating floor and all that. It's pretty uh, – it's nerve-wracking for sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm not – I hate heights. When I had to do the zip line thing in Maui, which I bet is gone, but we did uh, zip line and we went up. Like if you stay in Canapali and you look up the mountain, whatever the mountain is, and we went all the way up, took the vans all the way up, and we did the zip lining, it was miserable. That was, that was me doing being a good father moment. That was just me – Wife planned it. She wanted to do it. I want to stay at the beach. I liked playing golf at Kanapali or went up and played Kapalua. I like pool. I jumping in the water. I'm I, I'm in a, the, the whole zip lining was awful, but I did it. It was beautiful. But zzz, 
this you're gonna I'm just holding on going, Oh my god. <laughs> I'm soft. I, I do I am soft. I hate heights. There's no way I'm jumping out of a plane. My biggest one now before we we should get to Tony Gwynn, but uh I need to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. Just to do that. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, just to do it. No, it's awesome. It's incredible. You got to go on a nice day, though. You don't want yeah, to. Yeah, I don't want to go. To, I don't want Carl's in town. It's where dr- driving across the Golden Gate Bridge is dangerous. Walking across, it's beautiful. Yeah, I hate driving. I've done it so many times. But you're I not going to be freaked out because when you're up there, you're not freaked out. And I freaked out by a lot. Of, I'm not. I wasn't freaked out about the Golden Gate Bridge. Space Needle, I was freaked out. Oh, it's a lot higher. <laughs> a lot higher. And it's ground. Yeah, and you're looking. Well, down. you have no chance when you land on that water. You have no chance. Yeah. Some people have though. Man, so I can't imagine hanging off the CN Tower. Like, literally, you've got whatever it is, the harness and everything. Because Dallas Braden was talking. Braden's like, oh, it's incredible. I'm like, oh, my God. Pass. (laughs) You want to go to Tony Gwynn Jr. now? Yeah, we're getting close. He's like 14 minutes long. All right, Tony Gwynn Jr., broadcaster now for the Padres. He's got a sports talk show. Uh, was a good player of his own right. Obviously, his dad's the Hall of Famer. Tony Gwynn sounds just like him. But Tony Gwynn Jr., uh, we'll get into a little Aztecs. Because, you know, for us Mountain West people, San Jose State, San Diego State, you pack 12 people, it's affecting all of us, right? And the future. I, even though you guys all want to think Stanford and Cal are a long-term option in the ACC, I don't know. But Tony Gwynn Jr., Padres are coming to town on Friday. So we talk a little Padres-Dodgers. And we talk a little Mountain West football. Joining us on A's Cast Live, he's one of our favorites down in San Diego, currently in Los Angeles, as the Padres are taking on the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine, of course, San Diego, and our buddy Bob Melvin coming back to town to take on Oakland. Tony Gwynn Jr. Tony, how are you? I'm well, Chris. How about yourself? Uh, We're doing well. And uh, uh, we're not surprised where we are. But I think, obviously, everybody is surprised. One of the biggest surprises in a long time was such high expectations as we were talking about with you at the winter meetings in San Diego. And it's just, you know, it really is shocking looking at the Padres at 68 and 78. You've lived it. What's it been like? Frustrating. Uh, it's been um, confusing at times. Uh, you just you, you look at this roster, and I, I think everybody knows it's a really talented roster um and you know when you look at how the year played out i mean you got the, you got the number one pitching in terms of era your bullpen has been pretty good all season long for the most part um but the offense has been the thing that has you know at when it when it has performed right it can put up 10 11 runs without a beat but most of the season, it hasn't performed to that level. It's it's we're worst team with with uh when one run games, one of the worst teams with runners in scoring position. Those are the things that ultimately have a big impact on what your record looks like over the course of the season. And the Padres just haven't done well in those categories. You know, it's so hard to explain it. The it factor. Certain teams have it. Certain teams don't. You were on yeah, some teams yeah. that had it. You were on some teams that didn't. And everybody can look at the stats and they can look at the analytics and try and figure it out. But sometimes even teams that are not as talented, they have that it factor. They win the one-run games. They win in extra innings. They can play small ball. They can hit home runs. Just just talk about the difference because clearly 
this team doesn't have it. And, and the, the 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 thing is, they had it last year with largely the same pieces, right? I mean, they did all of those things. They were terrific in one-run games. And although, you know, they may have at times been, you know, lackluster offensively, they found ways to get timely hits last year. And it's hard to believe that in a year, everybody forgot how to do that. But uh, there does seem to be some disconnect within the lineup as you watch it. You know, the, the, the to, you know, part of what makes those teams that you just mentioned that don't have as much talent successful is that there's a role and everybody masters their role throughout that lineup. Um, to perfection are close to it. Whereas, you know, a team like the pods who have a ton of talent, it's a little bit more difficult to decipher what those roles are amongst extremely talented people. And when you watch the Padres play over the course of the season, sometimes that disconnect from one through nine, you can see it. So during spring training, our buddy Bob Melvin, they came over, the Padres did to Ho-Ho Cam, and I've known Bob for a long, long time. I did the Bob Melvin show for eight years. The mattresses Bob Melvin's family sleeps on, I provided for his family. That's how well I know Bob Melvin, and he's going to join us on Friday at the Coliseum. And he told me kind of after our interview that we did, he goes, we might be in trouble. There's something in this clubhouse that's not right. Guys are playing in positions they don't want to play. There's some grumblings. And, and we didn't see that, like, at the Fan Fest for the Padres, which was, like, incredible. It was the amount of people that showed up. They were talking about World Series. They don't care who they play in the World Series. Talking about parade routes and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, we don't have to totally get into the relationships, but would you just say that what's happened in the clubhouse, it just hasn't fit? Listen, I, 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 I would be remiss if I, if I, or I should say, I would be in the wrong if I spoke about what goes on in the clubhouse because I'm not there. But what I can tell you is the kind of communication I've seen doesn't point to uh, a bunch of guys that don't get along. Um, I, I don't see that. You know, there are plenty of times, and, and I watch carefully. I, I watch when, you know, the cameras aren't on and, and when nobody's watching. And you just don't get the sense that this is a group that doesn't get along with one another. However, getting along with one another and then finding a way to make it work when you're in between the lines are, are two entirely different things. And so um, when I speak about the disconnect and, and trying to figure out what the roles are, uh, amongst in that lineup, because in the perfect world, you just roll the ball out there. And you say, everybody, go do you. That You guys are talented enough. Just go do you. That doesn't always work. It has to be within the scheme of what the scoreboard is saying, what the game is asking you. And so at times, you know, different guys are going to have to do different things. And so I just think they were very inconsistent when it came to doing that part in terms of, you know, what it looks like in, in terms of chemistry and things like that, of that nature. I can't say that it, it, if there is a chemistry issue, I can't say that it's because these guys seemingly can't stand one another. Now, obviously with all the work you do around the Padres growing up in San Diego and all of that, people forget Tony Gwynn Jr. Was a Los Angeles Dodger for a couple of years. <laughs> I was. And, 
And when we were, we, we, we had Paul Hambakides, the main researcher on, who's on the morning show on ESPN. And when we were doing all our getting ready for the season stuff, and we had Tori Lovello on from the, from Arizona. And of course we got the giants people up here. Everybody was taking down the Los Angeles Dodgers this year. This was the year to slay the dragon. And he was like, not going to happen. They're still better than everybody else. I'm just looking at the notes today. Even this year, I know the, the total last couple of years is like they've beaten the Padres 32 out of 40, but this year it's nine of 12. They've done, I mean, the Dodgers, this can be their 11th straight year in the playoffs. They still own the giants. They still own the Padres. They still own yep. the D-backs. Everybody wants to say these guys are going to get them this year. Just you've seen them this year. The Dodgers are still damn good. The, the Dodgers, <laughs> to, to say the least. I mean, this team is, um, you know, to me, that they, they've been this way for, what, 10, 12 years at this point uh, in terms of the run they've had. And, and I think what happened was in the previous, you know, three years, they were basically a super team, you know? So, you know, when you lose a couple pieces off the super team, you're still a pretty good team. I mean, they lose Trey Turner, they lose Kenley Jansen, they lose, you know, they lose Walker Bueller to, to, to injury. Uh, and yet and still they find ways to beat you. They know how to win. And, you know, I, I, I go back to the, to the whole construction of lineups and each player having a job to do in that lineup. They do it as well as anybody you got your you got your big guys obviously mookie and, and freddie at the top of the lineup you got a guy like will smith but that lineup is still long even after you get by those guys guys can hurt you really up and down that lineup and you know i think this has been one of dave's best managerial jobs this year i mean they don't have the pitching and the depth that they've had in the past with the injuries they've had and yet they lead the national league west by a, a nice margin. And so, um, yeah, you know, the people who thought that, you know, the Dodgers were, were, were going to start falling off. I, I think they, are, they were sadly remiss because um, ultimately this team is still there. They're still good. They're still well coached and they play the game the way, you know, I think most organizations would like to play it. We're all starving for pitching. And every single time I look at the notes, here comes a guy up again, and then here's another guy. I mean, it's like they got this tree. I don't know where this tree is in their farm system that's just – they're plucking all these pitchers off. It's pretty amazing. You mentioned Freddie Freeman. He turned 34 years old yesterday. Can you imagine in your career, Tony, you think about this. Let's say you're leading the big leagues in extra base hits, you're third in average, you're second in on-base percentage, you're sixth in slug, you're third in war, and you have no chance to win the MVP. Yeah, this uh, this is one of those years. This is one of those years that, you know, for a guy like Freddie, who by in a in a normal year would probably be the favorite to win an MVP, is coming up against not only Ronald Acuna, who has created a, his own class for you know what he's done this year, but he's also got his own teammate on the same team putting up monster numbers once again. And so, I mean, listen. What Ronald Cunha has done this year is, you know, it, it just, it, and it's not done. He, he's got a chance to get the 40, 70, 40, 80, which is, which is, which is, which is absurd that we're even talking about it. Meanwhile, Freddie Freeman, he got a chance to get 60 doubles when this is all said and done. I mean, he is closing in on that as well. And so, 
it, it's it's been a, it's been a good year to watch some top tier talent, you know, do some of the things that you know we didn't think was possible. Yeah, poor Matt Olson's in the same boat. He's going to lead the <laughs> home runs, and he's going to finish fourth in the MVP ballot. <laughs> Let's end on this. Put your sports talk hat on. Uh, obviously, the college football world's gotten crazy, and my San Jose State Spartans were in the same conference as you in the Mountain West, and, and your San Diego State Aztecs. It's just absolutely crazy. We've watched what's happened with Cal and Stanford are now yeah, in the yeah. ACC. Try yeah. and figure that out. We opened up this year down at SC. You guys just played UCLA. They're going to the Big Ten. Just how is San Diego reacting to this? Because obviously San Diego State is one of the big players in the Mountain West and one of the big players on the West Coast. Just how is everybody feeling? There's a total unknown of what this is yeah. even going to look like in the next couple of years. There, there was a moment in time where the Aztecs had just won – or just gotten to an NCAA final in basketball. And you knew these decisions were coming up with the Pac-12 and would they get their 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 deal in order in time before the time ran out for a team like San Diego State that could possibly look to leave. And we saw kind of the mess that unfolded with that in, in, in the Mountain West. But it's been a roller coaster, right? Because at one point it looked like San Diego State was in the driver's seat to really have a choice of where they wanted to go. Yeah. All, all of a sudden that window closed and it closed so fast that I don't think anybody has had a chance to really kind of figure out what's next. I mean, it, it sounds like Oregon State, Washington State could either join the Mountain West or they could pull people over into what they're trying to create with the Pac with the remaining pieces of the Pac-12. Um, I, I think it's it's a really big unknown right now uh, for especially for San Diego State, where they just every up with the mountain west for the next three years they, they'll have to kind of see how the landscape goes in a perfect world football should just break off and do their own thing because i think ultimately you know the other sports that are traveling from california all the way to, to north carolina um i don't think that's going to help the other sports i think it could end up really hurting the other sports when it's all said and done so I hope you know the smarter minds get their get their heads together here and, and figure out a better way to do this because this just seems like it's going to be very chaotic for the next few years. Yeah, well said. For us guys that played college baseball, we know this doesn't work. And you think about yeah. softball yeah. and volleyball and all the different sports. Uh, quickly, are you excited next year? Are you more excited for UCLA against Rutgers or Stanford versus Wake Forest? <laughs> For in-conference games. <laughs> oh my lord, I, I I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine getting up early to watch a Stanford Wake Forest game. <laughs> right? It's like, hey, watch out, Cal College. <laughs> hey, we're we're getting ready for. Like I said, we're getting ready for some crazy times for sure. Hey, we always appreciate. It. We love having you on. We'll see you on Friday at the Coliseum. Be well. All right, Chris. Thank you, brother. Tony Gwynn Jr. Are you ready? Last time the A's swept the Astros in Houston, 2013. You knew that time would come again. Our friend Bo Porter managing the Astros. I don't care we were 55 games under 500. I don't care. I don't care. Sweep time, baby. Paulie Winday on the mound. Paulie Blackburn. Hunter Brown. 
their mini Verlander has not been good. It is time to sweep these SOBs. We want to thank Scott Miller, longtime baseball columnist, good friend of the program for joining us. We want to thank Paul Himbikides from ESPN, Hembo, and Tony Gwynn Jr. Am I leaving anybody out? No, that's it. We will be back on Friday at the Treehouse, 4 o'clock, hopefully Bob Melvin. Who else? David Force. David Force. At Mark, 4 o'clock. Mort Cop. He's opening the show. Tell oh, him. Yeah. I got to tell him that. Tell him, hey, can't be late. This, me, is, yeah. this isn't the GM meetings. You got to be on time. Let me, I'll text him. Remind me. And I'll remember on Friday. I'll tell him that he has to open the show. It's a David Force show. Can we make an open? Well, I already have an open for him. No, like make an open. Like, and here, like Johnny Carson, and here's David. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, I guess we could. Yeah. Got to great Ray Jensen or Amelia Voicen. What are they doing? Tomorrow's a day off, but they're getting paid. They don't work the weekends. They do for home games. What do they do for road games? They don't do anything. I don't know. You you think you, you think Amelia's grinding on the weekends when we're not playing at home? No. She's in New York. She's a, she's a socialite. She's in New York. What do you think Ray Jensen, the karate kid's doing on a Saturday and a Sunday when the A's are on the road? He's getting paid doing nothing. He's doing karate. Actually, we don't get paid. Mixed on the martial arts, whatever. We don't get paid on the weekends. I do because I'm working. Working. That's why I love being an hourly employee. Wow. You guys. Going for the sweep next. We'll see you on, on Friday at the Treehouse at 4 o'clock. A's Total Access brought to you by Chevron. Next. Hey, it's Eno Saris, your friendly neighborhood baseball scribe. There are two things I love, baseball and beer. When I'm not busy around the ballpark, you'll likely catch me back with a cold one at any of Fieldwork Brewing's eight locations sprinkled across the Bay Area. Fieldwork's got a rotating lineup of over 20 beers on tap that's as diverse as any 26-man roster. They got everything from super juicy, hazy IPAs to crisp pilsners and tropical sours that make your taste buds do the wave. Whether you're all about that draft life or prefer to grab some cans to go, Fieldwork's got your bases covered. Check them out at fieldworkbrewing.com to learn more. That's fieldworkbrewing.com. This is Chris Townsend and Commander Cody for Link Soul. The new summer colors and prints are in stock. The new polos, lightweight, all the colors you want. Fabulous. We got our new order. My wife is so happy that I'm dressing so much better. All thanks to Link Soul. You name it, whether it's polos, whether it's shorts, anything for your summer needs, you need to revamp your wardrobe. You go to LinkSoul.com and they got great summer deals. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.